City Maniac, the wit from the mitt, the Great Lakes Grandmaster, the Motown Madman, the Mittens Killer Kitten. We ran out of nicknames. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. And he's also known as the Alaska Pipeline. Good day. Thank you for being with us. I don't know where the Alaska Pipeline came in. Well, I know we've got an affiliate in Alaska, and right now the intro is all Michigan-based. So I'm like, oh, what kind of nickname would Steven get? I'm like, well, he's True. tall and he's very lanky. Alaska Pipeline, that'll do. I guess that makes sense. Uh, Either that or you're like a horse. I don't know. I, I Yeah, I, I had a lot. I mean, you completely <laughs> threw off my, my groove here where I had stuff to get to, and Alaska Pipeline, I... Uh, well, Alaska, there you go. So, so, sorry that it wasn't a better nickname. If I'd have known we were going with a nickname, a regional nickname, I, I would have come up with something better, but um, that's fun to... Uh, <laughs> that's fun to before coffee, but I tell you what, I've been bouncing around. I think I'm still coming off of yesterday's coffee because I drove back from Ohio. My fr- um, friend, my son got back from overseas, so I was very excited about that. And I had the one in the Air Force, right? Yeah. And I had three. I had three coffees. Uh, Is that a yes? Of, yes, yes. How about you give some acknowledgement to the damn host? <laughs> I said the one from the Air Force, right? There was no acknowledgement. I, I said, like, I didn't, I even... said, didn't I say yeah? No. Oh. <laughs> I guess I am still riding off of that coffee. Oh, well, good. Thank your oh, son yeah. for his service. It sounds like he's doing good things. Oh yeah, it, it was it was a lot of fun being able to see him. He he came back and he gave me uh, he gave me a coffee mug souvenir and oh it was just it was so cool to see him. We had some pizza. It was awesome. Yeah, pizza is awesome. Well, you said you were also pretty quiet on Twitter. First off, a great show for you lined up today. We have Andrew WK on the show. Uh, actually, funny enough, he he just signed with uh, with Glenn Beck. He's going to be having a radio show now, broadcast from the Blaze Network. Full disclosure, he's not necessarily a conservative. He's just a an open minded guy who's a thoughtful guy. He has a, a column on the village in the Village Voice. You see him on Fox News, and uh, a legitimate rock star. I mean, the guy has some some huge hits, and just a really really insightful guy. So th- that's a fun interview. You'll hear it. Uh, full disclosure, is, is it a pre? It is a pre tape. You'll hear because we recorded it in a pub. Where else do you record an interview with a rock star? I, I mean, I can't think of a more appropriate location. Possibly um, Freddie Gray's drug den. <laughs> I just figured we'd veer straight into it this morning. Let's oh, yeah. Just, it's like, okay. There's no way to avoid it. We'll also have my father, Papa Crowder, who was alive and in Detroit proper, not one of those fakers who was raised in the suburbs and claims Detroit, kind of like me. Uh, he was raised in Detroit. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> I didn't hit the cough button. I should have. He was raised in Detroit proper. During the riots, and I don't even want to ruin it because when I was speaking with him on the phone, he has some stories that will raise the hair on the back of your neck. Yeah, um, my dad his, was there too. Yeah, well, my my grandfather, we've talked talked about him quite a few times, and, and we actually get emails from people there in Detroit who who knew him well. Was a colonel in the Air Force, and um, and he had some work cut out for him with the Detroit riots because the military was 
brought in. They were doing all kinds of reconnaissance. So it's not something that's foreign to me. My dad spoke about the Detroit riots a lot growing up. And a big reason for that was because, you know, there were there are, <laughs> there are plenty of riots in Montreal if the Canadians win a hockey game. Uh, as well as when they lose hockey games. So <laughs> either way, someone's getting a car tipped over. I'll never forget 1984 Tigers winning the World Series, the iconic photograph of the upside-down flaming police car on the cover of the Detroit News. I was like, wait a minute, they won. Why are people mad? And my folks had to explain they're celebrating. I'm like, that's a dumb way to celebrate. Well, that's the whole thing. It, no, they they try and paste any motive that they want to justify it, just like right now in Baltimore. Um, you know, in that case, it's we won, we have to celebrate, or we lost, we have to protest, or you know, it was a bad call from the referee. Detroit, it was the it was the mayor. It's city corruption. Baltimore, it's race. It's the cop situation. So they left onions all... off my coney. The what? They left onions off my coney. Riot. Oh oh oh. I, yeah, I, I wasn't. I didn't catch that. Um, I'm sure you could probably. That would be a reason for fun dip riot, and that's more so. Write a note in the corner with your little Paddington doll. I. Uh, <laughs> there's any reason that any reason can be used for rioting, and we've covered this a lot at LauderWithCrowder.com this week. Um, you know, the Freddie Gray investigation now is 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 finished, and they're going to have to release their findings. So a few things that have led to this: you have a mayor who's an absolute. Stooge. Oh, you saying that because she's black? No, I'm saying it because she's a moron. And the Stooges were white anyway, so that reference is really, you know, doesn't Yeah, matter. it's fine. Hey, it's, Mo! It's, <laughs> Stooges weren't white. They were translucent. I don't think you can get, <laughs> get any whiter than the Stooges. You know, she said, and I'm sure everyone's heard the clip, so we don't even need to run it. She said, we, we gave them space to destroy. And then she goes and denies that she said the stupid thing. It's like, yeah. what an idiot. And then... A cop has come forward now and, and said that she she told the police to let them loot, that it's only property. Now, we can't con confirm that. Seems like it's reputable. There are a lot of rumors going around now, even if it goes back to Freddie Gray, that uh, that he may have had spinal surgery, uh, that he was in. He, we, we do know that he was likely getting a structured settlement from insurance and he tried to cash out in March. So and the 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 conjecture behind that is that he may have had a back injury yeah and that was you know and so if his spine broke i mean either way he was getting a structured settlement he had an injury now what we do know what we do know is there was a witness who said that gray was trying to hurt himself in the van uh this comes to us from yahoo news uh freddie gray whose death after the police were to, was banging against the walls of a police van and was intentionally trying to is, uh, injure himself a prisoner being transported with gray has said now this is a prisoner who is being transported with gray do you believe that this prisoner is in on it he's in on the police gag that he's somehow part of the system he saw it and was probably scared, going, this, this, this guy over here is trying to, trying to fling himself back and forth in a cop car. Now, re regardless of whether he had a pre-existing spinal condition, whether he had back surgery and how long that takes, uh, a good rule of thumb is no matter what kind of injury you have, regardless of the recovery period, probably best to not be back selling drugs within a week. Or rioting. Yeah. Well, I don't uh, – Gray didn't riot. People rioted for the drug dealer. Oh, yeah, but for, you know, those that are following suit, just – you know, helpful tips. Yeah, this is true. This is true. G generally, it's not part of the healing protocol 
if you go to a physical therapist. Yeah, mine always says, whatever you do, don't go rioting, and please don't go selling drugs. I thought yours was uh, Asian. She is. I don't know why I'm doing an old Jewish grandmother voice for her. Does she have an Asian accent? A little bit, yeah. A little bit. Is it like one of those Asian accents where they try and Americanize it, and then it just sounds robotic? (laughs) To a certain extent, yeah. We have that lady who very sweet lady, but I've missed two appointments because my back doesn't hurt as much anymore. So I think I'm just going to cancel them completely because it's rude to keep missing appointments because I forgot them. Yeah, well, I don't. If she's just having you suck in your your girdle, she's probably not having you do a whole lot. The lady who does my I know everyone's going to say racist, but it's it's actually the lady who does my wife's nails is Asian. Surprise, and she. uh, she has that accent. It's still the cadence, but she tries to sound American. So she, you know, oh, Hillary, I see your dog on the street. He is so big. He's so big. I can imagine he scared people. It's like, so you know that really it'd be, oh, Hillary, your dog's so big. I imagine he scared people. But he, she then tried to morph to American and over enunciate her R's and the cadence. And you're just like, just, it's okay that you have an accent. It's fine. Like, we can understand you. We appreciate that you're speaking English. That's one thing, too, where people say conservatives are anti-immigrant. I don't know about you, but I find it incredibly endearing when someone – I mean, I was just talking with a Bosnian guy at the gym, and I realized he doesn't talk to anyone. He's a big guy. He's one of the strongest guys in the gym. People are afraid to speak with him. And I walked up to him and started talking about Olympic lifting, and you could see he was very shy. But once I said, I said, oh, Bosnia, you guys got some, well, yeah, you have great lifters in Bosnia. A lot of the protocols come from Bosnia. You have great judo in Bosnia. He was like, yeah, yes, we have very good judo, very good wrestling. And, and he started getting into it, and he realized, hey, it's okay. I think a lot of immigrants think that Americans judge them because their English isn't perfect. Man, I'm just, I'm honestly really grateful that they give it the old college try and hey come on over we want more of you i I especially love the immigrants that come from england because they've got the best english out of all of them i'm really impressed with no they don't they don't the english are possibly the worst at their let me tell you this no a b c d e f g h i j k l m n o p q r q r freaking r they don't pronounce their R's. There is an R in the English language. It's not an A. It's an R. <laughs> I don't care what they we, we invented the language. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. We've been going long. Okay, we're going to go to a break. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk more about the Baltimore riots. There's actually quite a bit of info that you may have missed if you're just tuning in to your standard shows. Um, we have all this info up at LadderWithCrider.com. But after the break, we'll give you the ins and outs because you need to be informed, and I'm the only one who can do it. Give me your money. <laughs> you're listening to Louder with Crowder. Good morning. Or whatever time you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> If you're anything like me, you enjoy a good glass of wine. But finding the right kind can be a hassle, or maybe you want to buy a nice bottle as a gift but don't know where to start. That's where Simplified Wine comes in. Simplified Wine makes buying good wine simple. Just call 844-297-WINE, where a qualified sommelier will take your information budget, send you a curated list, and then wine straight to your door. It's just that simple. By the way, they also have a price match guarantee, so it's not only the easiest way to get great wine, but the least expensive. All you do is call Simplified Wine at 844-297-WINE. That's 844-297-WINE. Or don't like phone calls, you can just go to simplifiedwine.com and hit the Simplify button. Same thing, just digital. 
Any wine you want, they can get. Just call Simplified Wine at 844-297-WINE to have the best wine at the best price delivered straight to your door. Guaranteed. What could possibly be simpler? Call Simplified Wine today. 844-297-WINE. You've got it on Louder with Crowder. So glad to have you back with us. Sorry about that weird closeout. Fundip wasn't, uh, Fundip was asleep at the switch, apparently. <laughs> I have no idea what he was thinking. But, man, this has just been an absolute wave of, of Baltimore this week. Let's be honest. There's nothing else in the news that people care to hear about. There's nothing else in the news that people are really discussing. A couple of things happened, but it's been mainly Baltimore. And uh, we'll have, again, my dad on later on in the program to discuss being raised in the Detroit riots because I tweeted some stuff out this week where I got a lot of flack saying, hey, listen, you know what? Being raised in a post-racial America, I put up quotes, post-racial America, that's what we were always told. Um, race relations are the worst they've ever been in my lifetime. Absolutely. And people are saying, well, you only think that because you're white. And I'm going, well, logically, let me think about this for a second. Really, before Ferguson, before this, I mean, the last big right incident you had was Rodney King. Wouldn't you say, Fundip? Yeah, it seems like the big one, that would, be, that would have been the last really big one. That would have been the last big one. And then, am I, am I supposed to believe that racism was just slowly growing and getting worse and worse, but it, it was lying dormant my entire life until now, where cops have gone out and collectively said, we're only going to hire racists? And we've just decided to lay low for 22 years. And now we're going to make sure that we discriminate against black people and take them out. Yeah, it's, is that, is, it's just I mean, a little far-fetched. It seems a little far-fetched to me. And by the way, when we're talking about cops, you don't think for a second that there is someone in HR who is on their ass every single day telling them, you got to be careful right now. You've got to be careful. This stuff is out there. People are looking to pin it on you. You've got to make sure that if, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to say this, but if any purpose black, you have to be extra careful. Matter of fact, let, let them slide. Let them slide if you can, because we don't want this heat on us right now. By the way, you don't have enough black officers. The only, the only black people I genuinely believe that police officers, I'm not saying there's no racism, the only black people that I believe police officers are genuinely hunting are ones to bring on as members of the force. They need that right now for PR. They need to meet their quota. Guarantee you that's what's going on right now. They're meeting with whatever their, their PR person is and HR people. They're saying, we need, we need more black people. We need to change the image here. They're not going out of their way and flagrantly just, just trying to, to, to pick off black Americans. That's what we've been told. And we're supposed to tiptoe. What are you doing, Fun Dip? It looks like you're reading a novel. I'm I'm catching up on all the people making funny comments about you on Twitter. Don't. We'll do it during the break for crying out loud. <sighs> it's hilarious though. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at S Crowder and you can see why everyone hates me. Listen, it's okay. And I wrote an open letter to Baltimore. Okay, this week. By the way, this is a show. It's based out of Detroit, Ann Arbor, out in Alaska. There could be some pretty cool announcements coming. It's a pretty popular podcast. But we're certainly not supported by some giant syndicate network like a lot of other shows out there. The open letter that I wrote to Baltimore was more read than any other individual op-ed piece on Baltimore this week. 
And honestly, I think it's just because it was honest. You know, you can call me a racist. Fine. You can call me an insensitive jackass. But to use both is an oxymoron. It's an oxymoron. I am an insensitive jackass. I accept that. Okay? I am an insensitive jackass. But it is my complete lack of interest in your race, gender, ethnicity, accent, prior history that makes me an insensitive jackass. That kind of makes sense. I like that theory. I can't be both. I'm going to be an ass to you if you're black, white, male, or female. I'm not a nice guy. Because a racist, that would require extra effort. That would require extra effort. I'm just not willing to put in the time to hate you because of the level of melanin in your skin. It's just not worth it to me. I'm a business guy. That's not a good—I'm not going to get a good ROI. You hate everybody, right? You just hate everybody in general. I, I don't. I honestly don't. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm semi-joking. I don't have a high tolerance for BS. And that comes from any side. Okay? I don't have a high tolerance for bully cops. If you go back and listen to this show with the go- – um, not guys, no. Garner. Eric Garner in New York. We talked about that. Listen, I said, obviously the cops didn't choke him. That's not what killed Garner. That was media sensationalism. Right? But – the cop who was grinding his face into the sidewalk, that was a jerk move. You have six guys. That was unnecessary. That is something I would consider police brutality, and I would suspend that officer. You know, listen, was he breaking the law selling cigarettes? Maybe. Did the chokehold uh, kill Eric Garner? No. The fact that the guy was 400-something pounds and had a heart attack, okay? That is not the cop's fault. But as someone who is also actively involved in combat sports and grappling. I saw that and said, uh, this is unnecessary. This guy is not getting anywhere. You don't need to be rubbing his his face against the concrete. That's a jackass move. I have no tolerance for it on either side. Listen, if, if this comes out with Freddie Gray, that this cop pulled a Street Fighter Super Turbo Zangief pile driver and broke his back, suspend him. He's out of there. Great. Get rid of him. Absolutely. But if it comes out that it's a kid who was selling drugs who was deliberately trying to enter himself for some kind of a cash settlement, we have to accept that that's a possible outcome, too. The difference is the burden of proof is on you as a rioter. The burden of proof is on you when you burn down a damn senior center in your neighborhood and you say it's because of racism. You say it's because of Freddie Gray. The burden of proof is on you to be on any shadow of a doubt prove that you are correct when you are hurting officers. When the Bloods and the Crips and the, the Nation of Islam are coming together, by the way, hilarious clip, we'll run it later, they want your sympathy. They think the media has misrepresented them. No, it's your violent slashing of women's faces as part of your gang initiation that misrepresents you. The burden of proof is on you, rioter. And I'm not saying that I'm right. I'm not saying the cop is right. All I'm saying is Let's wait for due process, okay? Let's wait to see what happens before we start burning crap down. And this is the radio-friendly version. Let's just, again, the burden of proof is on you. If you're going to burn something down, you better damn well have a good reason, or I think they should lock you up. It's because I'm black? No, it's because you're a terrible human being. You don't, bring, you don't bring shame to your race. You don't bring shame to just any individual race. You bring shame to the human race. Humans don't treat other humans this way. And humans don't break someone's back deliberately. But I don't know if that happened. I don't know. And by the way, Barack Obama, wrong every single time. Every single damn time. 
Trayvon was wrong. Mike Brown couldn't be more clear. Couldn't be more clear wrong. And this one, wrong. He's always wrong. And I tell you what, race baiting used to be relegated for the lower rungs of, you know, political, I guess you'd say political uh, uh, con men like Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson. Those were the only guys who went out there and had a platform. Now you can include the president of the damn United States of America. And that's why people feel so confident in burning down senior centers. Andrew WK, after the break, lighthearted interview, Lighter with Crowder. So we're here with Andrew WK. Thank you, sir, for taking the time. Thank you for having me. <laughs> we're at a, we're, I'm not having you. This is a, actually it's a cool little pub here in Grand Rapids, Derby Station. Yes, and it's Irish theme, I suppose, or it's sort of just. I don't form. know. I know you really like Irish pubs. Oh, that place, Gabby's, I was reading about. Yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you for being familiar with that. I always found, uh, not just in terms of atmosphere, but especially in terms of service, that there was a standard level of quality that was maintained very consistently at Irish pubs, bars, you know, themed restaurants all across, at least the U.S. Yeah. Uh, and as someone who, you know, maybe wasn't always the most approachable or didn't look like the kind of person that should be served in an establishment, a respectable place, I was always impressed that they always treated everyone, no matter if they were regular or like some guy looked like me walking in you know, never having been there, I was always treated well by the bartenders at those places, so. I think that's because in Ireland, you're high society. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I don't know, I know bar fights are a way of life oh, in yeah, Ireland. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, so. I, I'm, I'm a pacifist when it comes to bar fighting. But you look like you've been working out, though, so. Try to exercise, you know, have some fun, and partying actually counts as exercise, so that helps as well. The shows are very good, good exercise tonight. I think that'll burn about a 1,000 calories. Well, your shows do. Well, yes. I, it's I'm not sure quite the I same as Yo-Yo Ma going up there. And well, hey, you know, a cello, that's no joke. Uh, that's a, that, that, that's a, I'd say it, it takes a lot of stamina. Maybe not the same as, you know, prancing and right. headbanging. Because I do do a lot of prancing. But yeah. it is a, it's a choice to, to perform in, a, in a, an athletic style. Right. Now, do you feel like you have to, do you have to gear up? Like Alice Cooper, I, I don't know if you've ever read his biography. It's fascinating. He talks about his routine where he goes in, he gets into character. Um, he eats one chocolate chip cookie because that's oh, wow. the right amount of sugar, and then he watches kung fu movies for f like 45 minutes. I might not have the numbers exactly right, and then the room has to be dark for half an hour. Wow. I don't have to sleep, but I just have to rest for half an oh, hour. I had no idea. I never. That's very elaborate for yeah. in any profession to prepare uh, to that degree. The cookie I can relate to because I do like cookie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, who doesn't? <laughs> who uh, doesn't like cookie? <laughs> uh, but no, I've never. I think stretching out. I think stretching out, that's my routine, you know, just so you don't pull a hamstring or, right. you know, dislocate your knee, which I've done before. I've broken my foot, I've broken my nose, definitely a lot of pulled muscles, but stretching seems to be a good sort of also meditative kind yeah. of focused state. Uh, I do that too before stand-up, and it's, I actually stretch. blew up my knee. See, there you go. Stand -up. It was, you can um, do it by twisting your leg and keeping your body... I, the listener won't want to hear this, but I want to hear your story. Mine was this. So there was, you know, sometimes they build those stages that are like those multi-purpose sort of wooden blocks. Yes, yes. So, they're, free, they're yeah, modular. Yeah, and they're yeah. supposed to like contain them somehow, but the kid didn't. It was at a college. So they shifted apart. Oh, so boy. I'm walking. My heel slips in and stays, but the ball of my, so it's like a brace. Yeah. <laughs> I keep walking, but my shin stays perpendicular as I fall over. 
Oh, and it's uh, it's still not like I'm looking at surgery. I mean, people don't realize, and it's not, I'm gonna have a pretty energetic show. What you do is is crazy. I mean, how long is the show? It's over an hour, right? Well, this these shows tonight will be an hour long. Okay. Uh, the longest we've ever done is, yeah, probably an hour and 45 minutes, two two hours. Our show, because of that kind of energy level, that the style of music, it doesn't lend itself well to going much longer than an right. hour and a half. Because yeah. the crowd also, they're going full blown. Mm -hmm. So to be sprinting for an hour and a half is that's that's asking a lot of anybody. Right. Um, and I think there's a more effective kind of contrast when you just blow it all out and then it's done. And, right. And then it, that you're just sort of in this daze of what just happened. Do you feel like exercising helps translate to that? Like I, I have one. I had advice one time where someone said, "Hey, kid, as an actor, stand-up comedy, said your career is not a sprint; it's a marathon." And I thought it's it's really not. It's more like Interval training, you know, yes. rhythms and margins. High impact interval training. That's yeah. a, a much better comparison. Okay. Because it is, it's dynamic. Yeah. And there's moments, even in any career, where the only way you can really appreciate anything you've done is to be able to have a time to reflect on it, to absorb it. I, I think that's the most important thing. When being very busy, it's not so much that you even want to reflect and think, oh, that was really fun when I did this two weeks ago or last year. It's great to remember back. You're going through so much so fast, in life in general, actually, sure. with, with anyone, with whatever their pursuits are, that I feel like you have to actually give your soul time to absorb yeah. your own life, to put it into perspective within yourself. And it might not even be a very formalized, literal way of, of thinking about it. It just, you just kind of have to like, uh, be like a sponge and, and, and soak it all up. And you know, it's funny, I mean, you're a very introspective guy, and yeah, I mean, I've read quite a bit of your um, your sort of, I guess, I don't even call them advice columns. Yeah, advice columns. Right? Okay, advice columns. And I, do you feel like there's this image? I mean, obviously, people take party, and you sort of put it out there as more of a generality, as like a positive experience. But do you think people maybe have an image of you that's not inherently accurate? Like they picture, you know, like you're a very calm, well spoken, introspective guy. Do you think people expect like the party ah, Andrew WK all the time? I can do that too. I know, and you're good with that. I can go, well we're here and uh, having some fun and we're gonna smash things and then run amok us. And that's just when there's times when that's called yeah. for. You're in a well actually you have a very high energy level. The, the way I've seen you carry your, your program, it's it's definitely amped up. Right. But I usually just respond to whatever the atmosphere is calling for and try to I don't know, mirror the surroundings in a way that adds to it, you know, right. I'm, I'm not here with some kind of M.O. that I have to get across this certain thing. Like shtick. Yeah, because it just it doesn't feel right, I don't know. Uh, I'm more interested in trying to communicate, so yeah. that's what we're trying to talk about. We were sort of talking about this, do you feel like, because a lot of entertainment now, people our age, relatively our age, a lot of the entertainment, and we'll go to a break soon though, but is, is very conversational, like podcasts. That's, that's true. And it's sort of a, and I, I almost feel like it's because our parents, they had their conversations in the house and then they turn on TV and gee willikers, you know? But now we're so engaged in our devices that we want our entertainment to feel more real. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe you're, you're compensating for not having as many conversations throughout the day because of technology, the computer, or even just sort of your lifestyle. And then you want to listen to other people having conversations right, yeah. to make up for that, uh, that void. I mean, this would never play on traditional media, you know? Ten I guess years ago, it is, it's engrossing. There's something about it that's very unique. Uh, the podcast phenomenon—it's a style and it's a tone unto itself. Yeah, I don't know. I could be an idiot, but I just noticed that. I find myself becoming more consumed with. Oh, we'll talk. We'll talk more after the break, and then we'll, that's how conversational we are.
You're listening to Louder with Crowder. Louder with Crowder. You're a strange animal. That's what I know. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. But you're a strange animal. Back. We were talking about being conversational before we had to go to our evil corporate overlord breaks. Um, so, we first met, I think it was at a Fox News green room. Oh, yeah. I think it might have been Red Eye. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know I had done things by satellite. So, let me ask you this. I, you don't necessarily go out and discuss politics, but you've had some interesting political insights that I've taken with me that you may not even realize how influential they were. But do you feel like in the industry where you are, um, have you had any blowback just for going on Fox News, because that's like this dirty word. Have you felt that at all from people? Uh, much less than I ever would have imagined. Okay. Um, when I first went on TV in general, like MTV, I got to do Saturday Night Live right at the beginning of our, my, my first album cycle, uh, my beginning of my career we did Conan, and I got general blowback from a lot of my friends who thought just doing anything on TV at all was bad that it was really? evil corporate, like what you were saying earlier with your ad sponsors, that it was playing into this machine yeah. that, that I should avoid. But I completely disagreed and actually was expecting that because a lot of these friends of mine that I had grown up with uh, were very against the grain. I mean, really radical in almost off the grid type living. This is in Ann Arbor? Yeah, this is in Ann Arbor, Michigan. But I was always very much interested and stimulated by that kind of, um, far out thinkers, sure, but didn't really relate to it personally because I liked TV. I liked Saturday Night Live and it was like the greatest thrill in my whole life to be able to go and It was a great performance like too, not to kiss ass. Well, thank you for being familiar with it. Um, so then over the years, I just always liked television and I always liked being able to have this thing um, that, my, that my thing could be able to go on those places, go into these other realms where maybe I don't fit in or maybe you wouldn't expect me to go and actually have it be okay and make sense. And so by the time things like Fox News came around, uh, I was still wondering what, and there were a few people that said, oh, they're evil, you know, don't go on there. But it was much less than I expected. And I actually, more than take credit for that personally, I think that just shows that, well, maybe I have a really great audience that, that, that affords that kind of open-mindedness to whatever I'm doing. Um, or maybe they just realize it's not really what I'm, I'm not, I don't have an agenda right. beyond uh, really sort of good cheer. So, yeah. I don't know, they cut me a lot of slack, I, I guess. I will say that I noticed there are two places on the internet that aren't horrible. Your Twitter feed and uh, Art of Manliness is actually a website we had the founder on here. They're very, very positive. Oh, it good. seems like, I'm, I mean, I'm sure everyone gets people who hate them. It seems like you don't get a lot of people who live to hate. Like, I've never run into like, oh, I just hate Andrew WK. <laughs> There's a few out there, but, uh, you know, I try to take their comments in stride, like even, even today. I was thinking about this. There's, and you, I'm sure, deal with this a lot. And I, I, well, I, most people hate me. Well, I expect you to leave here. Be like, geez, that guy was a jackass. Well, then, at least you, you have a, 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 a default mode that you can operate in. Yeah. You know, it makes it easier to, to realize what you're up against all, at all times. But it seems like there's sort of, with, with, when, whenever you put yourself out there, when you decide to do something that is a public offering, yeah. like entertainment, radio, right, anything that we're, 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 you're asking someone to consider it, to give their time to it. You're going to get this kind of feedback. So the question is, like, it's the comment section of life. Do you completely avoid the comment section of life and not look at all, to what yeah. anyone's saying? 
do you look at it and then really get upset by it? Right. Or is there a way to actually look at it and try to extract something from it? And that's what I, it's very challenging. It's painful. Yeah. But that's what I've been trying to do. Like, maybe they're right. It's like some of these criticisms. Like, I went on this show the other day. I'm glad back again. And some of the criticisms that people had about my comments, I agreed with them. Yeah. And it, it didn't feel great to realize that I slightly misspoke or could have said something better and couldn't go back and change it. Right. But it felt very good that I could take really what was sort of mean-spirited criticism and say, like, you know what, they have a point there. And that takes away this whole... This, uh, it's tough fighting. to do that though when my YouTube is just littered with people calling me <laughs> Jew fag. <laughs> like I don't know what I can that's, clean from that. That's maybe I'm yeah, Jewish, <laughs> perhaps gay. So maybe, well, the, what you could glean from it would be that you're not blocking out right. the, the world just because it's threatening. And I think it goes back to kind of what we were talking about, rhythms and margins. Like there are times where I can go uh, on YouTube, I mean, because that's my world, right? right. We went on with the Fox News and people there didn't really like it. it was, it's an extreme liability. There's no worse place than the YouTube section. It's worse than Twitter. And um, right, right. there are times where I can look at it and get inspired and say, okay, I can, uh, you know, Bruce Lee, absorb the good, right. discard the bad. And then there are times where I just know mentally I'm not in a place where I can handle so it. don't go. You just have to avoid it. Well, that's like, you know, if you're home alone and you're feeling on edge and it's a dark, stormy night, maybe it's not the best choice to watch a horror movie that night. Or for some people, it is. Maybe it's the best. That's what I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Meaning, pick and choose your, your your moments when you have that kind of internal strength to face things that are designed to be challenging. These people are trying to challenge you. I mean, a lot of times they're just, you know, trolling, as, as they say, trying to rile you up, right. trying, to, trying to get under your skin. But even that, I want to be strong enough to let people get under my skin yeah. and see what that's like. So it's, it's, it's a pretty far out place. I don't know if I'll ever become that... I don't know what the word, enlightened, where I can actually go through life with with, with that kind of uh, impenetrable vulnerability. Yeah. It's a strange It's going to be hard for you, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying this to sound like authoritative, but you're, as an artist, as someone who's obviously very creative, something as a comedian, you know, you can't be thick-skinned in the sense that what makes you able to create something makes you inherently thin-skinned. It yeah, makes you true. sensitive yeah, to yeah. pick up on things and create something out of that. Well, that's very well said. That's a good, good good observation. I think, yeah, like you want to be weak enough to be, you want to be strong enough to be weak enough. You right. know what I mean? Like the, a really strong person isn't strong just in this way to barricade themselves from right. the world. They're strong enough to actually be vulnerable. Yeah. It's this very strange paradox. We talked about that too with um, another guest. You know, there's this sort of, I, I talk about this sort of, this... I guess, vilifying of masculinity nowadays. And I'm not talking about some false sense of machismo and hunting and fishing, but I think boys are very confused. Um, and I think a big part of that, too, is also you have people saying that, you know, men are inherently, you know, your male privilege is showing, and they make them feel guilty. But then you have people acting like, well, you're either the jock or you're the book nerd. When if you look at people even like Patton, you look at people um, like Churchill, you look at great men, they all were very, very, very layered people. You know, back then... It, you were only considered a complete man if you were intelligent, if you were creative, if you were well-spoken, and if you had the physical. Whereas yeah. now we tell people, like, it's, it's one or the other. Right, you're a type of person. Right. That's a really great observation. I like that idea. You're, you're trying to assemble many types of people into one layered, as you said, and, and, and synchronized whole, where right. all those things actually... It's not like the, you, you're this way one minute, you're this way. They're all working in tandem to sort of bring out the best that you can yeah, a complete man a human. yeah well that's a that's a great that's oh, something well, to aspire to oh well thank you see you're making me a feel great smart human. a great human yeah 
Well, I guess I was talking more so about men because we've had feminists on the show who just, you know, your patriarchy showing. Like, oh, damn it. They just had the, uh, what was it? They just had the, the, I don't even know if I can say they had the slut walk just yesterday. Wait, what's that? It's where you walk around naked and call men rapists. Wow. That's what it is. That's like the that feminist thing. Uh, they, do it, they do it across many cities. Okay, I don't know. So anyways, that's, that's why my mind was there. It's but intense. And then Jeremy Renner got a bunch of flack. I'm sure you heard for the Black Widow comment. No, I didn't. It was really funny. He said, they, I said like, well, Black Widow in the comics doesn't sleep with Captain America and didn't quite sleep with uh, 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 Hawkeye. Who's, is that Scarlett Johansson? Yeah, yeah. Character? And okay. he, said, he said, yeah, he said, Black Widow, a fictional character. like, she's just a total slut. And now feminists are furious. Oh, it's, a, it's a fictional character. Yeah, you know. People are sensitive. People get excited. Yeah. <laughs> I won't bring into that one. But, uh, okay, so you, you've been on Fox News. You appear on the Glenn Beck stuff, right? And I'm sure you get people who think, you know, it's, would you appear on Hitler's show? Now, you've never really been open about your politics as far as, like, saying I'm a conservative or putting a label on it. But I would have to imagine um, just in being accepting of the invitations to those programs that you're not, like, a far lefty. I don't feel like I'm anything. And right. I, I was thinking about this earlier today, maybe in, in anticipation of coming on the show. I don't think there was a time when I ever identified as anything. Um, right. A lot, largely because I was extremely uneducated, still am, just sort of ignorant, uh, not proud of it either, on a lot of the issues. So I didn't feel uh, prepared or even capable of picking a position all the times. And two, I just wasn't interested in it. I just right. really wasn't interested. If I had to label myself, I would want to have been, you know, labeled as a musician or as a painter or as, you know, a person. So I just didn't find that um, kind of engaging with the world through a political point of Did view. Did you feel like you had to become more aware, though, because you had people going like, well, why would, why would you go on Glenn oh, Beck? Sir. Sorry. Um, Did that make you go like, bit. well, why am I going on Glenn Beck? Is this really bad? Or? No, because he, he asked me. Yeah, exactly. That's how I've gone through life is more and more a sense of there's something pulling me along, and I can fight it or I can show up and do it. And the more I've shown up and, and done it, sometimes against my instincts, sometimes against the advice of people I really trust and respect, but gave into a deeper, more subtle pull that I was supposed to be pulled towards these things. I've just followed it and, and things have worked out. Um, I really would like to be able to take things case by case as much as possible in life. Right. And while that might not always be possible, and we, we do need to, to sort of have preset ways of looking at the world in order just to move through it, Right. I try to stay focused on open-mindedness as the default mode. Right. And even question that. You yeah. know, question everything, even including questioning everything. So it can get exhausting not resting on a certain point of view, but it's been, for me, it's been more, I've learned a lot more than I think I would have if I had just stayed with one point of view and then worked right. to... Uh, to defend it. Well, you've got to recognize that that's different from a lot of, because like every, you know, rock star, pardon again the askism, but every rock star like considers themselves open-minded, but not, most of them would never even think of doing a show that has someone labeled as a conservative attached to it. So do you yeah, think it's maybe uh, they're fooling themselves into thinking they're open-minded and you're just really, because it seems like you're very sincere. That's the one thing I think why no one really hates you is because it's contagious, your authenticity. Well, you're very nice. I, 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 uh, I don't know what to say to that. I just... <laughs> I'm trying to uh, have an adventure right. in life, and I feel as an entertainer, because that still is my, that is, that's, that's what I thing. do. If I'm not entertained by my own life, how can I, not, how would I be able to entertain other people? That's a good, 
That's a good point. So I, I, I don't know why other people don't do what I do uh, or why I don't do what other people do. I just, uh, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. That's yeah. not even what I want to do sometimes. Right. But what I'm meant to do. And it's been hard to figure that out, but I'm getting better at, at following it. Gosh, that leaves it open to so many questions. When you say when you say meant to do, like what do you feel is drawing you? What what is it? Do you when, uh, call it the universe, God? All all of that, a, okay. a force, uh, maybe your own internal instincts again. But it, but it, I've noticed when I feel like I'm being useful, <laughs> that I'm adding something rather than just taking away or taking to make my life better. When I feel like someone else can relate to something that I've offered and it's made them feel good or it's allowed them to tap into the part of themselves that already did feel good and they didn't realize it, anything that sort of make me feel like I was making, I was contributing, that was the thing. Because there was things I wanted to do because I liked it or I wanted to make money because of this so I could buy this or live in a certain way. It always left, there was always a slight flatness after you did, like the striving for the achievement was satisfying. But the kind of end result, when, when there wasn't another person involved, it wasn't as rewarding. So I started thinking that maybe to try to not just cheer myself up, but right. other cheer people. other people up. That's a great point. Well, well, we'll keep you on for one more segment if you can. Yeah, of course. Because that leaves me with something to bring up later with Crowder after the You're listening to Louder with Crowder. Hey, this is Steven Crowder with Louder with Crowder to tell you about one of my favorite sites on the web, AR15.com. I know you hear AR15 saying, isn't that the scary black rifle? It is, but AR15.com is actually the best website if you want a community from which to learn about how to care for your gun, gun safety, where to find concealed permits, courses, as well as the best online gun store in the business. I'm talking ammo, accessories, upgrades, all of it can be found at AR15.com. That's AR15.com. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. So we're back with, if you're not entertaining yourself, you know, it's funny because, and I've never talked about this, but when I first met you, I don't, when I started at Fox News, I was 21. Wow. It's not about Fox News, but New York. You love New York. I, I hated it. Huh. I mean, well, I was... I did it when I first got there, too. Did you? Yeah. I did it two different stints, and it just, it just, it just wasn't me. And you could sense that, like if you go back and you watch the hits I was doing on television, if you go back, you can just sense that there's, I mean, if people listen to the show or people watch the videos, they're like, ah, I think Steven's a bit of, you know, I think he's a bit of a jerk in his point of view, but he seems like a happy guy. Mm. You could sense that I wasn't happy. Mm. And I know with, because there's no, there really is no, unless you're like, um, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think. It could cathartic for other people to see someone going through that in a thick way, but ultimately, you know, That's true. you want to see people that are, Feeling inspired. I do my best work when I'm excited about life. When I feel like I'm maybe not figuring things out, but at least going towards some kind of purpose or meaning. I mean, there's times when I've thought that everything was meaningless. I went through all kinds yeah. of complete ambivalence and sort of tore away everything about life and then built it back up again. And now I'm in a building back up again phase, which I hope never stops. I don't want to tear it down again. Right. It's too. You know, you can die when you do things like that. But if you feel like you have to, then sometimes you're like, crap, like you I gotta to do go this th again. You go through ordeals in life and you hope that you come out of them yeah. stronger. And at, at the time, it can seem like, why, sh how could this ever be valuable? But those dark moments, I feel like especially, and I'm not sure what your 
childhood was like, I had a very, very privileged upbringing. You know, just a good family, yeah. endless support, great surroundings with friends and, and, and mentors everywhere. And things were so good, I think that I almost had to create bad experiences so I could have a fuller <laughs> version of life. I mean, your parents, of course, they want you just to have this perfect right. existence, but you don't get to know yourself uh, or even the world unless, I, you know, for better or worse, you go through some bad stuff. Yeah. And even if you have to make it happen on your own. Right. You get, at the end of the day, you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, I mean, have I done everything that I could do? Did I do everything that was in my power to make sure that I'm prepared for whatever it is, that, you know, whether it's a show or whether it's, you know, the next stage of life. And that's a scary moment, I feel mm. like, because if you can say yes, you go to work and you're willing to accept the result. For me, I don't know about you, like, as far as a tearing down phase, it's, 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 this is kind of the question for me, and this has nothing to do with politics. I know people on the AM dial might be shutting this off, but um, you never know. You know, that's what I'm saying. It, it depends on who's listening. What are the harder failures to handle? for you? The ones where you've made a mistake and you're going like, oh, I know I made a mistake? Or the ones where you feel like you did everything right, everything you could, and it just still didn't work? Well, that's such a fantastic question. Well, hopefully both of those types of experiences could again provide insight, education, self-knowledge, and some type of strengthening in the end. But I feel like the the first one, the first one is is more painful because all you'd ever want is to feel like you gave everything you had to this right. chance to be alive. Whatever happens, you have to then just take in stride as that it was meant to happen. Right. If you truly felt like you, you know, hesitated, didn't f trust that instinct, didn't follow this purpose or this call, and basically wasted your life. That right. to me would be much harder, even if it was just a day of your life or ten years or right. the whole thing. I thought you were going to go with the Oprah answer, where I hope I would learn either way, and then you gave an actual. Well, I threw that in too. No, it was good, to go but it was good deep. though. <laughs> you know, yeah, that I would say for me, it's it's one of those things where yeah, the mistakes are like you know those are what keep me up at night. When I'm facing it though, and it's like I've done everything because you know I I didn't I really I wouldn't say have yeah. Um, and, and, but I, I am very, very grateful, and I have the best father and mother and, and brother you could ask for. But for me, where it was, you know, if I was like, I've studied for this test, I've done it, or same thing now, you know, I've, I'm prepared for this show, and I've done everything I can, and then it still doesn't work. When it happens, it's devastating, but I feel like it's something where you, I, I know I can move past it, because I go, well, I just have to correct it and move forward. Whereas, even though you're looking back, something where you made an error, those are things where if I'm alone at night and I'm not sleeping, I'm like... Yeah, oh, you know what I just wince. It, you know? it, it is, and there's still things. There's things that I don't allow myself to think about yeah. going back ten years, fifteen, twenty years ago, because I've closed that chapter. I said there's nothing I can do right. to fix that. I will never make that mistake again. Never have. Right. Uh, and that's the only thing I could take away. But it doesn't solve that feeling of it right. being like ding, 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 needling in. It's, it's, it's bad. It's nauseating. Especially if it's in the public eye where it's something you can just Google oh, and you're boy. like, oh. I mean, I'll tell you what. That was with, with, with me and Fox News and where I, I have a rule now where I, I don't do media unless it's my friend um, Dana. And it's because, like, if I put up a video or this show is going to go up, right, people have the full thing. They can make their judgment. They could hate you. They could hate me. I'm okay with that. What's really hard is running a search and seeing someone take a clip from a show where I said something because I was asked something by a host. And even though I said what I meant, it's cut in a way or out of context where people could misconstrue it. I said, 
I'm not okay with that. Yeah, that I can't that's handle. That's hard. That's hard. That's like almost getting into injustice right. uh, territory, which is true emotional pain. I mean, right. it, that, that is, that's anguish. But better to have that version of injustice than to truly become like the best person you can be. And it's the hardest thing in the world. It's harder than anything else that I ever wanted to try to achieve, like putting out an album or getting on TV or making money or being successful, making my dreams come true. Yeah. All these very self-involved pursuits. You know, the like, entertainment industry. Yeah, ambition in the traditional sense. Then there was the idea of what if I could, how, what if I could just be better brother? What if I could be a better son? What if I could be a better husband? What if I could be a better friend? Yeah. And those were much like, ah, that's gonna really actually take real work. <laughs> like the, all this, the work, yeah. striving, recording, hours, staying up for three days, working, was not, doesn't even come close to 1% of how hard it is to try to face yourself right. from the inside out and say maybe that's what real life actually is. And all the other stuff is, is to facilitate that pursuit somehow. Right. That's a good point. But you know what? I would say then it kind of comes in a roundabout way because, I mean, you sold out, we're here in Grand Rapids, you sold out the pyramid scheme, I mean, very quickly. That's crazy. But that's, I got to hand that to them, their promotion. Have you, well, well, we'll take you downtown if we have time. We'll take you and just show you around. It's right around here. It's, it's an incredible town. There's a lot of city pride in Grand Rapids. A lot Rapids. of beloved uh, yeah, places here. I can, yeah, you can tell yeah. that right away. It's a lot like Ann Arbor um, mm -hmm. or your, your friend there, Austin. Um, I think that a big part of it is, like I said, it's contagious, is the authenticity. And, and when you are really just trying to improve yourself and enjoying what you do, that in itself almost becomes, for lack of, like a gimmick. Because everyone else is trying to find a gimmick and they're trying to create this or this is the marketing tool. And I will say this, like you're performing you're performing your first album, right? Isn't that what you're doing for the hour? Oh, it's a mix. It's oh, a it's mix. a mix. It's okay. A mix. But you know, you perform a lot of these songs, right? Which some of them are older, some of them are newer. But there are a lot of artists who would say, Well, I don't want to do that. I just want to do new stuff. You know, like Paul McCartney goes up and it's like, Well, Paul, we don't really want to hear your <laughs> Starbucks album. You know, like we want to hear your classic stuff. And the fact that you just seem to genuinely enjoy pleasing your audience is almost abnormal now, as opposed to like, my art is for me. Well, your, your art is enjoyable for all people. Well, that's why I made it. I actually, uh, that's what I was interested in trying to get. But also, I like those songs. It's not, yeah. there's nothing grueling about me playing Party Hard. I, I, I explained this to a very close friend of mine the other day <laughs> who asked if I was sick of doing that song yet. and and. Even I am surprised at the fact that I enjoy playing it now even more than when it was first written. I don't know why. Um, I don't question it, though. I just am thankful that this, this thing is revealing itself to me. What I told him is that song, I don't even feel like I created that song. That song created me. That song created, you know, whatever I've gotten to do that's led me here. I sort of worship that because I wouldn't be here without it. So to right. be resentful of it or to turn away, or, I don't get a creative uh, charge or inspiration from sort of trashing everything I've already done. I do realize some people work like that, but. That's a lot of people. Yeah, I, I never, mean, that I happened when I showed up good. for a band. I don't know if I want to name because you're probably friends don't with name them. them. Don't name them. But they, like, they showed up and they did something and they didn't play any of the songs that people wanted them to play. And it was this whole concept album, bullcrap, and it was just—it was just really tough, you know, because these people had paid for a ticket. Um, so I think Billy Billy Joel is—I I know, but Billy Joel—I have this opinion that if you're, for example, in this pub, and a Billy Joel song comes on, and you're immediately gonna, oh wait, oh, there's yeah. something going that makes me want to tap my foot. I love Billy Joel. Okay, there you I've go. Seen him live, and I, I agree. He played, you know, all the songs everybody wanted to hear, and, and then even deep ones that weren't his choice, maybe, you know. Right. 
I've and I've had experiences where I've done shows where I did what I felt like doing, and people were disappointed, and I didn't feel good. No, I, I and I didn't want to push against that. I mean, I've learned from experience too what I where again where I have use, where I'm valuable, where where I can offer something that actually is appreciated. If, if I can play that stuff at home. I can do that at other shows, make it clear that this show I'm not going to be playing my songs, and I've, I've done that, but yeah. I would never abandon, it's like a tree, you know, I don't want to cut down this whole tree just because I want to build a new nest in one area of it, you know what I mean? Yeah. This thing is growing, and it kind of takes on a life of its own after you plant the seed, and you got to then tend to the tree, like I'm there to protect it and help it and feed it and grow it and be part of it, but I don't want to have to cut it down just because I feel like you know, making a new offshoot or something. Right. Yeah, and some artists feel that way. Billy Joel, I think he said, he said, I'm never going to write better songs than I did in my 30s. They're he incredible. Said, because it's I'm true. just, I'm, I became rich and fat. He's like, you know, like, <laughs> well. it's kind of like the fighter, George St. Pierre's trainer said, you know, it's, it's very hard to get out of the bed at 5 a.m. to train to defend your uh -huh. title when you're sleeping in silk sheets. That's that's a very good point. It's and, true. So it's like, just embrace it, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I think it's very noble and... Also, I understand artists that don't do that, but you just got to do what feels right to you. Well, great. Well, you do seem like you're in a, you feel like you're in a good place? I feel very, I feel like there's uh, things happening and I'm thankful. Certain things that we can't talk about, but big projects that may be in the works Yes, for you. exciting stuff coming up. As always, very surprising things I never would have expected in a million years. I've turned myself over to whatever this thing is, this force, this destiny, and it is pulling me along. And, I'm just doing the best I can to make the most of it as it happens. That's a, well, okay, where can people best find you? InterWK.com, okay. all one word, two W's, and then every other website with InterWK at the end. Twitter.com slash InterWK. All the social media sites. YouTube.com slash InterWK. So, do you do YouTube? Are you on YouTube? Yeah, I have. I don't update it as much as some do with videos every, every day. I, I would like to. It takes a lot of discipline. I, I, I stick with Twitter. That became my... Your thing. I just loved how one-dimensional and pure and short and like sort of, uh, so it, it felt like you were hanging out at a party, yeah. actually, with all these people chattering back and forth. We didn't even talk about partying. I'm so sorry. There's an interview and partying didn't come up. I got it in okay. I got it in hey, Thanks, man. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. Louder with Crowder. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. Oh, coming in on the... Is that, is that your track, Fun Dip? No, this is the average white band from Scotland. Okay. Not a huge fan of that one. He's making sure that he's not slamming something that I wrote. Yeah, first. exactly. <laughs> I, have to, I have to be diplomatic. Yeah, no, I tossed out the one, uh, the one that I wrote uh, for to play Andrew W.K.'s bump. So that that's a jam. That dude is a jam. Yeah, he knows how to he knows how to get the party started. We're gonna have it up at loudwithquieter.com, the video version of that interview, and you'll get to see me uh, swan dive into a crowd and crowd surf. Everybody's wanting to see that. They they keep texting me. I'm like, I wasn't there. I didn't shoot it. That's somebody else. What What's funny is they think that that's somehow beyond me. I'm going. You do not know me very well. Like, I guess they think they're mixing me up with some other AM radio host. <laughs> Bill Bennett swan diving into a into a rock band or Glenn yeah. Beck. 
I wonder what happened Ingram, to you, Swan Dove. Uh, that's not called a swan. It's <laughs> a turkey dive. Look at the big butterball turkey diving into the crowd. They would just split. They would just part and <laughs> go smack on the floor. Yeah, the, the crowd would look like the Red Sea. Well, uh, anyway, I don't. I don't know why people have such a hard time believing that I would do it. I mean, I, that's what I did all throughout high school. You know, I was a kid who hung out at, at rock shows, and that's very different. You know, listen, I come from an entertainment background. Fund up, and I have talked about this. Uh, that's an interview that you may not hear elsewhere. I know some of you are waiting to get back to politics. We'll be talking about Baltimore plenty today. But uh, Andrew WK is a good guy, and he he actually has a, a show on the Cartoon Network. I think it's Cartoon Network, a kids show. So if you don't know about him, your kids probably do. And he's not a conservative, but he's a good guy, and he opens young people's minds to different ideas. He wrote a column, actually, that was really good where someone wrote in complaining about their ignorant, you know, religious father. And he, he kind of corrected them in a way um, in a way that's very insightful. So I, I would highly recommend you check out his stuff. But speaking of insight, let's go the opposite. So let me settle in here. I just realized I had my, my leg underneath me, and then my, my, my leg will go numb. So let me settle in. Conservatives, we have a problem. When I post something online and I see people who find themselves incredibly clever with the nicknames, oh, bummer, oh, dumma, and now Hillary is killery, stop. Please stop. It's not funny. It's not creative. And it's why conservatives lose. Whenever someone sees a post and a conservative, you know, instead of going there and making a very lucid argument that can convince somebody, they go and they go, well, this is the abomination under Odummer. <laughs> you immediately lose the argument. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. And here, and who? Listen, listen. <laughs> Fun dip. Okay, here's the thing. I want to co contrast here what conservatives do and why they lose versus what liberals do with language and why it's effective. Liberals didn't go, yeah, George, oh, oh, dummy. George Bush dumb person, what they did, instead of trying to be clever and trying to create something that can be forwarded to your 74-year-old grandmother where she sits in her office and treats it like a full-time job, what they did, think about it. When someone said Bush, it was never President Bush. It was Bush. You see a sign somewhere Bush now, you know it's some kind of a protest. They took his actual name, George W. Bush, and they said, we're going to take over the word Bush. Devalue the word itself as opposed to We're going to, to make it. Bush a bad word. In the cultural lexicon, Bush, bad. They did that. And that was incredibly effective to the point that conservatives, if they were defending some specific policy or decision of Bush, they felt the need right away to correct it and say, well, even though George Bush is because they know if they say Bush, people would boom right off, shut, shut off their brains and go, oh, Bush, oh, Bush, oh, he's talking about Bush. It's a bad word. And instead of doing that, instead of arguing uh, the policies, instead of becoming more culturally relevant, conservatives become more culturally irrelevant by going, oh, bummer, oh, dumma, oh, uh, killery. The worst one I saw was actually. 
oh, oh, um, it wasn't oh, dumma, and it wasn't oh, bummer. It was like oh, bummer, dummy. It didn't, it didn't even work. It's like everyone's just trying to outdo themselves with these names, and they're just, they're just not helpful. So please stop and just learn to actually argue the points. And be effective with language and culture. Leftists are, I gotta give him credit. Be right back. Louder with Crowder. If you're anything like me, you enjoy a good glass of wine. But finding the right kind can be a hassle. Or maybe you want to buy a nice bottle as a gift but don't know where to start. That's where Simplified Wine comes in. Simplified Wine makes buying good wine simple. Just call 844-297-WINE, where a qualified sommelier will take your information budget, send you a curated list, and then wine straight to your door. It's just that simple. By the way, they also have a price match guarantee, so it's not only the easiest way to get great wine, but the least expensive. All you do is call Simplified Wine at 844-297-WINE. That's 844-297-WINE. Or don't like phone calls, you can just go to simplifiedwine.com and hit the Simplify button. Same thing, just digital. Any wine you want, they can get. Just call Simplified Wine at 844-297-WINE to have the best wine at the best price delivered straight to your door. Guaranteed. What could possibly be simpler? Call Simplified Wine today. 844-297-WINE. You were almost listening to Louder with an Empty Chair. Here's Steven. True. I, I had a little bit of a stomach uh, upset because I was drinking so much coffee. So I ate a banana, and then I realized we were back. <laughs> I, I looked over because we Skype, so I can see what's going on with him. I'm like, I've got bumper music playing, and I've got an empty chair on my computer. I was like, okay, it's Louder with Dan. I could just be there. Just picture it as like an elderly Florida driver. Oh, yeah, Thursday. you're real low on the steering wheel. <laughs> I almost got run over. Run over by an old lady. And I swear to you, I know it's a stereotype in a Buick. Just, I I mean, it's like the old Seinfeld bit. There was, there was nobody in that car. It's a completely empty car. But what kind of Buick, though? Oh, I don't know. Some older Buick. I, I don't mind Buick. Uh, my I brother love had Buicks. My wife will not let me. I, she told me I needed to get another car. Well, she said you need to get a new car. Right. And so I looked on the Internet, and I found that there is a pristine 77 Electra available. And I want it. And she says, no, that's older than your other car. I'm like, yes, but it doesn't have a single French fry wrapper on the floor. It's like French, such. French fries don't come in wrappers. Well, the little bags. I, there's junk all over the floor of my car. I need to clean it. Pick up your floor. Don't buy a new car. I don't want to throw things out the window. That would be littering. The libs would be all mad at me. You are entirely confused about your plethora of options. (laughs) (laughs) You could take the trash out at a gas station, but I'm pumping gas. I'm busy. It doesn't have to be on the floor of your car or out the window. I can throw it in the back seat. There are plenty of ways... 
in which you could dispose of your French fry wrappers. Really quick. Really quickly. So some people didn't like what I said about the Obama and Killary stuff. Uh, by the way, I understand that obviously if someone's going to call you a racist, right, you can't just argue the points and be self-important and think that everyone can be a Milton Friedman. You need to, you need to nip that in the bud. Because to start an argument once someone is already based on the premise that you are a racist is to assume that it's within the realm of possibility. You need to, no, I'm not a racist. There's no proof that I'm a racist. I've never done anything racist. Uh, I'm just not going to accept it. You need to swat that down first and foremost. So I get that. But that has nothing to do with trying to be clever with, frankly, nicknames that aren't very clever. They might have been really clever like the first time you hear them. Or the first time you see them. But after about, you know, six months, maybe uh, two days, it's not funny anymore. Yeah. You know, Democrats and all that stuff, you're just like, please, can you just stop? You're like the unfunny uncle at a barbecue who I'd avoid. <laughs> not the other not the other uncle because, you know, he's always asking you to come here, go little boy. It. Yeah. There's no parental supervision in the porta potty. George Michael, that uncle. I'm not talking about that uncle. <laughs> Uh, I'm talking about. I just. But you gotta I, I have faith. Do, what was that? You gotta have faith. George Michael. What is he doing now? He's probably still putting out big albums in in Europe and in you know they're probably listening to him in Germany and in Japan and stuff. Just not charting in the U.S. A lot of these guys they do that. They're still super successful everywhere else after the uh, U.S. gets sick of people. Right. Well, uh, Andrew W.K. is is uh, huge in Japan as well. A lot of rockers are big in Japan. I think rock is uh, less of a dead art form in Japan. So a lot of people there probably appreciate it more than their young Japanese people appreciate rock, I think, more than young people in the United States. Well, uh, my son loves rock. Well, both of my kids love uh, good rock and roll music. So that's kind of a plus. I haven't had to deal with a lot of rap on their stereos. Oh, I love some rap, too. Don't get me wrong. I love hip-hop as well. But I'm just saying there are a lot of people who just won't even, you know, won't even listen to rock. They just won't even give it the time of day now. I can't fathom that. Why would someone not want to listen to rock? Well, think about it. When you were growing up, the rock was the counterculture. That was part of what made it enticing, right, culturally. A lot of parents didn't want you listening to it. Well, that's not the. There's none of that. That would be associated with with hip hop now. To, to me, I always just listened to what sounded good. I didn't care whether or not my parents liked it or disliked it, or whether or not my friends liked it or disliked it. I'm like, oh, this is quality quality music. Because I would go around with a cassette Walkman with Benny Goodman's version of Mozart's Clarinet Concerto, and a swap that out, listen to the Beatles, listen to Led Zeppelin, throw on Tommy Two Tone. It didn't matter what it was. If it was good, I was there. And the early rap, too. I mean, right. Run DMC, uh, Nucleus with uh, all of that stuff. Just killer. Grandmaster Flash. You name it. Yeah. Uh, there's just not as much good now when I, I try to tell listen you this. to it recently. If you actually listen, if you actually get, and the guy is probably one of the biggest dumbasses in America, but if you listen to one of Kanye's albums like College Dropout, or uh, is it dark and twisted fantasy? You will see. You'll you'll get those hints of Eleanor Rigby, where there's full on, you know, violins, pianos, really a full band bringing in some pretty creative hip hop. I don't like Kanye West as a person. 
I don't like his political views, but I've got to give the guy respect as an MC. But is there still a lot of that over-processing on the voice? Because there was a there was one that he worked on with Paul McCartney, and the voice processing was so annoying, the I could not get past it. Yeah, but there are a lot. Of, there was voice processing on a lot of even the Beatles stuff. You just oh yeah, but it was it was proper analog voice processing. Yeah, the auto tune thing fixes up a lot of mistakes. There's some of that, but it's not all of it. It's not entirely reliant on it. You know, it, it, for me, it's kind of like c- comedians. There are vulgar comedians who actually really like. We're going to have Jimmy uh, Jimmy Norton on the show, um, who is probably one of the filthiest comedians ever, and he's coming forward about his sex I like him now, already. But he's also he's also um, very open, open-minded, and and is uh, really against political correctness. So there are comedians who are vulgar, but they are funny without it. And then there are comedians who are entirely dependent on the shock. I sort of that's the way I look at music. Kind if of like entirely, a dice man deal. The what? Dice man back in the day. He needed the he needed the he vulgarity. Did. I feel yeah he well he was like him and, and Dane Cook kind of had the same trajectory. Uh, I feel the same way with music. I give them you know I have some wiggle room for someone who uses it as a tool, some auto tune versus someone who's entirely reliant on. Yeah, because I I've heard uh, songs by Lady Gaga where she uses auto tune as one of the colors in her palette, but she's capable of of painting something spectacular with just her voice. Lady Lady Gaga looked when she was as uh, she was a jazz musician. Stephanie Germanata, I've got the red and the blue album. Those are fantastic. She was very very good. I love her. And what happened is listen, this is a message that we send to our young women. Lady Gaga is not particularly attractive. And so She's she adorable. wasn't getting the kind of play that she wanted. So ugly chicks have to go fishing with dynamite. That's the rule that we're teaching young girls. Hey, if you're not attractive enough, you've just got to throw a stick of dynamite in the water and and blow it up. You know, you've got to be shocking, wear a meat suit, something, because you're not going to cut through this industry. There are exceptions, like Adele, where the talent is so overwhelming. I love her voice. I love her voice, too. I think she's she's cute. I think she's cute. She's put on a lot of weight, though, now. Well, yeah, but from my perspective, she's still thin. <laughs> Not that you can't be attractive, but she was, you know, she was always a big girl. But you can tell, I mean, she I think she had a baby, but you can tell she's just kind of been like, "Okay, I'm I'm just going to go with this. I'm going to go, you know, full full Aretha Franklin with the deal." By the way, actually Joni Mitchell, prayers out to Joni Mitchell. She's uh in a I think in a coma right now. And um my mother-in-law actually sang with Joni Mitchell for a long time, toured with her. Oh, man. And uh, she toured with Aretha Franklin, too. She has some great stories. We should have her on the show. We will have my father on the show to discuss later, again, for those of you just tuning in, the Detroit riots. We have people, yeah. Well, now everyone shut off the dial. We're talking about music. Uh, by the way, have you heard the Michael Moore demand with Baltimore? I have not heard that yet. Oh, he wants to disarm police. Okay, now we got to start using some of those stupid nicknames for him. Well, how about just dumbass? Does that work? That is exactly the one I was thinking of. There was another one that starts with D as well. Well, there's a, there are a lot of them. Let me see. Okay, here's here were his tweets. Michael Moore. Michael Moore suggested, this comes to me from the blaze right now, that as many as 50% of people who are in prison are actually innocent. He tweeted, imprison you, shoot you, sever your spine, crush your larynx, send you to war, keep you poor, call you a thug, not let you vote, but you can sing for us. 
here's my demand. I want every African-American currently incarcerated for drug crimes or nonviolent offenses released from prison today. And the rest who are imprisoned, I don't believe 50% of them did what they were accused of. Lies, greed, a modern-day slave system. Poor whites, too. Next demand. Disarm the police. We have a quarter billion Second Amendment guns in our homes for protection. We'll survive till the right cops are hired. Local cops now militarized. Founding fathers said no army policing our soil. Why do cops have tanks? Oh, right. The enemy, the black man. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, there's so much to get into here. Now, it's very important because people get mad when I give any kind of credit to the left. He's not entirely wrong. There are kernels of truth in there, right? As far as militarization of police, that's a problem. Why do police have tanks? That's a legitimate question to ask. If cops have tanks, people should be allowed to have tanks. It's a discussion that some people have, and you hear convincing arguments on both sides. Father said no armies policing on our own soil. Okay, um... I'm not quite sure where he gets that, where, where, again, it would fall under the legitimate purview of government when people are rioting and burning down their fellow citizens' buildings. It's a legitimate role of government to stop that, to protect other citizens, because now your freedom to break crap infringes on someone else's freedom because it's their crap. I always heard the expression, my right to wave my fist around stops at your face. Yeah, unless it's my face, then apparently everyone has that right. Oh, only if they're in a union. If they're in a union. We were talking about that the other day, too. It's so funny. Liberals constantly tweet that picture to me. It's like, that was from my camera, the picture of me getting punched in the face. I put it on my YouTube channel. <laughs> like, clearly I knew it, but only liberals would consider a sucker punch a victory. <laughs> you know, they're proud of that. They're proud that some guy cold cocked me. And that's fine. You know, you have some people who say, oh, Stephen goes around, he's well known. He goes around beating up old men. We don't have any footage of it, but we know that he beat up this old man before he got hit. Well, which is it? Am I an absolute pansy who can't defend myself because I was cold cocked in the face? Clocked, cold cocked, cold clocked. I think they both work. <laughs> or Now I've got a visual. <laughs> well, cocked. You're cocking back your fist. Get your, get, you're better than that, Fun Dip. So, or I beat up an old man. I mean, it's, it's got to be one of the two, right? But, uh, yeah, that's, that's a perfect example. You're... You have a right to wave your fist around. Andrew W.K. does at his show, right? You're out there moshing. You're, you're waving your fist, but you can't hit someone else in the face. So there are kernels of truth to what Michael Moore said. And actually, we'll go to a break here. There's, there are kernels of truth to something very controversial, as CNN's host said about the troops. She said they're coming back, these veterans looking to do battle, and a lot of them are police officers. She said it as an indictment. Now, she was wrong to say it entirely. But let me explain some context there and why I think it's actually a good thing for veterans to sometimes become cops. Louder with Crowder. We'll keep you informed after this break. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. Yes, you are, and Fundup just screwed up getting this clip up. But uh, if you just run a search, CNN host veterans, the news stuff will come up, Fundip, and it'll show you a bunch of clips. So uh, I'll explain to you, I guess, in the interim, this host at CNN 
it, and conservatives sort of sensationalize it a little bit. She didn't quite blame the Baltimore riots on veterans. But she was talking about how a significant amount of veterans are police officers and how, you know, we turn them, we turn them into cops and they're coming back from war and they're just looking to do battle. And so we end up with this. And conservatives got really offended and, and they, they sort of played identity politics with it. Now, you should be offended, not offended, you, you absolutely point out the fact this is an inappropriate time to bring it up and you cannot place any of the blame of the riots on veterans. You cannot rest that on the shoulders of veterans. That is wrong. It's factually inaccurate. You could argue that it's victim blaming. I certainly think that that policemen who have never uh, done anything racist, have never discriminated, I certainly think that they are victims much more so than the people burning stuff. That's just an opinion. Tweet me at S. Crowder if you think I'm wrong. But there is truth to, and I think that this is a discussion that at some point needs to happen, when veterans come back, it, it, they're operating at a very, very high frequency. It's the same reason before they became biker gangs, criminal gangs. If you look at a lot of the biker clubs that were started in the United States post-World War II, it was a lot of veterans coming back, and they're in war, and they need to, to, to find themselves at that frequency to get a thrill. So they joined motorcycle clubs where they would ride together. You know, you're going fast on a motorcycle. That's kind of the closest thing that you get in society. So I, I understand that. You know, Chris Kyle had PTSD, right? American Sniper, and we all laud him as a hero. But we also need to have an honest conversation about PTSD. Now, in his case, what really angered liberals is that Chris Kyle did not have PTSD from guilt, from American guilt, from being against the war and not having a clean conscience. He said, no, I'm actually willing to answer to the good Lord for each and every shot that I took. He did have PTSD because there were a lot of people he couldn't save. And coming back here, again, if you read the book, there was that antsiness. It was really hard for his marriage because he felt like, I should be back there because he knows that if he's not back there and he's skilled, he's an incredible sniper, he's saved so many lives, he knows that there are lives not being saved, right? So you're operating up here, right? You're redlining the engine, and then society tells you to bring it back down. So that is an issue, and that's an issue for a lot of people in the military. Now, in this instance, where she's talking about cops, veterans looking for battle, and so they're looking to cause trouble with citizens, um, of course, that's inaccurate. But I would say this. If military veterans who were combat specialists are coming back into this country and are trying to find a tiered process to reintegrate them back into more civilized American life from the battlefields, I cannot think of any place more entirely appropriate than putting them on a riot squad in Baltimore. I mean, am I the only one who thinks that that is perfect? Oh, you were a soldier. Well, you had ISIS and they were blowing stuff up. Now you got these people and they're blowing stuff up. Do your job. I, I don't I don't understand the problem. I really don't. Now, as far as obviously police officers who are veterans, I'm not saying you can give them carte blanche to just, you know, treat it like they're out there on the battlefield. But uh, listen, it's like the old Jack Nicholson line. You want him on that line. You know who I want out there on the front lines? I want, I've talked about this, we want women up there, we want equality, we want to meet our demographics, we want to have everyone represented. I want 
some leather-necked redneck or wherever they're from. Redneck means white, so let me just correct that. I want some leather-necked hunting American who has a can of bush ice in one of his hands, and it would be killing a deer anyway. Only we replaced that deer with a terrorist, and we replaced that hunting rifle with an AR-15 and gave him a license to kill. That's the guy I want out there on my front line. And we act like these people are abnormal. We act like these men are abnormal. Do you realize that not long ago, that's what all men were? That's what you did. You went out and you fought and you protected the village, right? There was a huge value. You didn't condemn them. You didn't tell them they needed to be in a special ed classroom. You didn't tell their parents they needed to put them on Ritalin. You said, oh my gosh, there's an incredible amount of value in a man who has boundless energy and wants to fight and hunt and kill and screw all the time. Let's go put him out there and have him protect the country. But now that's a problem. Now we don't we don't want them we don't want soldiers to be soldiers. We don't want them to go out. We don't want them to win. We want them to be civil. We want them to be nice. I don't want them to. I know I, I don't believe in needless wars. We don't need to be going into wars. Honestly, I'm at the point, if it doesn't benefit our own self-interest, screw them. Sorry, I don't care. Oh, but there's... Nah. The fact is, if people are going to accuse us of being an evil empire, which, I mean, we were talking about that in Ann Arbor when we did the Paddington Bear video. A girl said, the United States is an evil empire, and we just can't afford it anymore. The United States can't afford its, its empire and interests abroad. I said, well, hold on a second. An empire, by definition, is profitable. Either we're an evil empire or we can't afford our efforts abroad. It's one of the two. Now, first half, you're an idiot. Case in point, Canada. <laughs> there is a country rich, just just vast land and rat natural resources. No national defense of which to speak when compared to America. If we wanted to take over Canada, I say this as a Canadian, the United States could take over Canada by noon today. And they don't. There's never been an empire ever, ever, that's had a Canada. Think of the Persians. Uh, th think of the Ottomans. Think of the English Empire. If there was Canada, guess what? You're now part of the English Empire. But it is costly. The reason it's costly is because America is an inherently altruistic nation. It's costly because we're going into other countries trying to liberate the people from their dictatorships, from their tyrannical governments, which you can argue is not a role that we should be fulfilling and asking for nothing more than the land in which to bury our dead who did that for them. So either the United States is an evil empire or we're spending too much money abroad. It's one or the other, it can't be both because an evil empire goes into countries and takes their crap. That's how you build an empire. You don't go into a country overthrow their government, and then let them hold a democratic election and kick you out. But for some reason, it's in the cultural lexicon. America's an evil empire. Just think about these things, folks. Louder with Crowder. We'll be right back.
Hey, this is Steven Crowder with Louder with Crowder to tell you about one of my favorite sites on the web, AR15.com. I know you hear AR15 say, isn't that the scary black rifle? It is, but AR15.com is actually the best website if you want a community from which to learn about how to care for your gun, gun safety, where to find concealed permits, courses, as well as the best online gun store in the business. I'm talking ammo, accessories, upgrades, all of it can be found at AR15.com. That's AR15.com. So, news breaking. Al Sharpton is on the ground in Baltimore. What a piece of human feces. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. Al Sharpton is just a horrible human being. Just an absolute profiteer. Uh, you know, like, Lena Dunham is the same way. She's, she profiteers off of rape, but Al Sharpton, my dad will actually talk about this. He had a great point in contrasting MLK versus Sharpton, um, but uh, nothing good can come of this. If Al Sharpton is in Baltimore, expect things to get worse. Expect them to get worse. Oh, I don't doubt it. But now you've got me thinking about Lena Dunham and that whole conversation. Would, would you consider what she has done you know, when you borrow the phrase from Sharpton, race baiting, is hers rape baiting? Absolutely. Absolutely. I actually, it's up at louderwithcrowder.com. I would get you the clip, but you can't run it, um, where she accepted an award on behalf. Uh, it was some, I think it was Varieties, like Power Women Luncheon. And right away she goes up and she insults men, whatever. You know, who cares? That's par for the course. But she accepts an award on behalf of a charity uh, uh gems or gems they actually do some really good work with underage sex trafficking and helping people get out of that you know and that's a terrible terrible thing and you know who does the most good work with that are christian organizations and churches they go into these countries and they, they legitimately will take underage you know people who've been sold into to essentially sex slavery and get them off the streets so as much as people hate the religious right yeah eliminate the religious right and there is no humanitarian work across the globe so she was accepting this award and talking, and then right away, it took about 30 seconds before she went to, when I was raped, by all evidence we have available to us, Lena Dunham, you were not raped. And here's the thing. The statute of limitations is 20 years. If you were raped, and statistically, most stats point toward people who rape and get away with it, rape again, up to 6 out of 10. The lowest I've seen is 4 out of 10. But generally recognized number is six out of ten rapists rape again. So, Lena Dunham, if you were raped and you know the person and the statute of limitations is not up, there is a stronger chance, a more likely chance than not, that that man is going to rape someone else. How about instead of accepting an award and patting yourself on the back, how about you save a woman from rape? How about you charge him? How about you release his identity? How about you come forward? How about you cooperate with Oberlin police who wanted to launch an investigation and you were uncooperative? You can't say, well, I'm afraid he's going to come after me. He's not going to come after you. You're, you're Lena Dunham. There's no evidence that it happened. Uh, she's lied about a lot of things. And I don't want to do the character assassination where she's lied about other things. Therefore, she's lying about this because you don't want to do that if someone's a victim of rape anyway. But Lena Dunham cited an incident 
And believe we actually reached out to the, she used the name Barry. And I spoke with basically the one gentleman who would have met her criteria where she talked about being treasurer of college Republicans. And he was really, he said it wasn't him. At first, I didn't believe him. But turns out she was using some code name, she says, some synonym. Reveal the guy's name. Press charges. You can literally save a woman from rape. Not accepting an award and doing a show where you strip down or Brian Williams's daughter is bending over and having unspeakable acts performed on her. Yeah, fun. Turns out it was Barry Sotero. Barry Sotero? Yeah. Is this a reference I'm not catching? That's what Obama's birth name was. Oh, that's right. That's right. I knew it was it, it was in the noggin somewhere. I completely forgot about that. I bet you if you were to ask most pe- 99% of Americans wouldn't know that. Well, that's cuz I'm brilliant. That's because you're brilliant. <laughs> it's just one of those things that Lena Lena Dunham, she is like the Al Sharpton of rape. She's the little boy who cried rape and she could save women's lives right now from rape. She could stop a rapist from raping again unless there wasn't really rape. You know, she did fondle her little sister. We know that. She talks about this. Pardon me. I don't think Fundup needs to hit the censor button. He gets incredibly uncomfortable. She wrote in her book about opening her sister's lady parts and reaching in there. She wrote about that. And when Truth Revolt said this is child molestation, she threatened to sue Truth Revolt. And they said, we look forward to speaking with you in a deposition as to why you believe that it was appropriate to reach into your sister's private parts, as to why you believe it was appropriate to... uh, fondle yourself in a bed next to your little sister as to why you believe it was appropriate to pay your little sister to kiss you on the lips. And did you not write, Lena Dunham, that you acted as a sexual predator? Did you not write that in your book? Yeah, let's let's go to court, Lena. Take us to court. We look forward to it. Of course, nothing happened. But now she's back on the trail. The conservatives just attacked me because I was a rape victim. Just attacked me because they hate women. No, conservatives don't hate women. By the way, if you look at conservative Christians, they're the people who treat their wives the best, even if you don't like conservatives, even if you don't like Christians. They're the least likely to beat the crap out of their wife. You know who's you know who's most likely to treat a woman like dirt? Muslims. Well, yeah. <laughs> or some inner city liberal who refuses to marry a woman and lives with her and says, it's just a piece of paper, baby. That's more disrespectful to women. But Lena, Lena Dunham, it's up at ladderwithcredit.com. You can see her speech. It's so self-aggrandizing. She is the Al Sharpton of rape. And we segue to that because Al Sharpton's on the ground in Baltimore. I don't know what's going on there right now. I just know that nothing good can come of it. We'll go to a break. We'll come back with my father, Darren Crowder, to discuss being alive in Detroit during the riots. Don't miss it. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. Make sure to keep your computer on louderwithcrowder.com. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. You are listening to Louder with Crowder. In case there was any doubt, we always have to let you know because that's how radio works and people forget and they get upset and they have to take their pills again. But I'm glad to bring out our next guest. 
someone who I know quite well, my father, Darren Crowder. And the reason he's on is because we were talking on the phone this week about the Detroit riots, and he was alive back then. So, Dad, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. I was going to come into the studio and drag you off like that mother in Baltimore if you hadn't had me on soon. <laughs> Just a wail on me? Yeah, the left is, right. a, is mad about that now. <laughs> well, she had, she had quite, a, quite a right hook there. I admired it. She did subtly telegraph it, though. Each time she laid into him, she would go, don't you ever try that again. And so she, she let him know it was coming. So it's he, true. He'd seen her act before. Yeah, he was able to bob, bob and weave a little more effectively and roll with those slaps. But, well, she gave it the old college try. Um, I'd like to see more moms at least doing that and, and more dads out there. In her case, I think her husband had a heart attack, and so that's a tragedy. But, uh, yeah. Um, okay, so, Dad, before we get into anything else, so I was talking about this as someone who obviously wasn't around for the Detroit riots, and we've talked about this a lot. There was kind of Rodney King, you know, when I was really young, and then – a gap and now. And I would say that race relations right now, and Fundip agrees with me, are worse than ever in my lifetime. Um, you were around, what, 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 first off, what would you say to that and then kind of contrast it with, you know, the death of MLK and Detroit riots, which is obviously probably one of the worst incidents in American history as far as rioting? Well, I think, I think there was more of a fear back then, and uh, from both sides, really. I, I just think today, we just see it everywhere. It's, it's around, everything is looked through that lens, and um, it's just it's just in the atmosphere constantly. It wasn't then. I mean, you, you, there was the idea that hey, you went to certain parts of town, lock your doors, kids, and we didn't know why. Uh, we just thought, oh, there are people who hate us for some reason, and we didn't really reciprocate that. We didn't get it. I mean, we were Northerners. Maybe in the South that had gone on long before before my time, but. Uh, no, I think you're right. I think today it is everywhere, and um, it's, it's oh. kind of sad. I mean, I, I think uh, this president had a chance to to address it. He had a chance to do some things for fatherless, uh, you know, families, and uh, he had a, he had a chance to. He doesn't have sons. That's unfortunate. If he had a, if he had a son in that tribe, that might help uh, him address it a bit. But he doesn't. Uh, he's never never spoken to it. It's always been. Uh, race in the negative sense. He's never tried to prop up the family and, and fatherhood and and uh, you know getting it together that way. It's always been just well. One thing, Dad Fundip's going to have a heart attack if he can't come in. What Fundip? What part of Detroit uh, were you in during the riots? Where were you living? I I grew up in the northeast side, Fundip, right in that little notch, the last place where every fireman and cop could live and still be in the environs of Detroit because I had to live there to work for the city. So it was just a notch below Harper Woods and just uh, west of where Gross Point started. So I-94 and Kadju. Kind of like over by Denby High School? Exactly. That's where my brother and sister went to school. Oh, okay, yeah. And I know people, the area. Yeah, people often tell me, boy, Detroit's gotten really bad. No, it's always been bad. My sister witnessed <laughs> in 1976, in front of that school, Denby, a girl get shot at lunch hour. A girl pulled out of a gun. I don't know if they aimed sideways back then, but she pulled out a gun and shot a girl who was, who was uh, seeing her boyfriend. And my sister never went back to school. They mailed her her diploma. Man. That was in 76. Yeah. So, but now, you know, that was back when the city was a, a million plus. Today it's less than a half a million, and, and they're, they're lying about that for census money. <laughs> Just throws that in. You wanted me on. I know. We saw the ride. We bought a ticket anyway. Uh, <laughs> 
it's it's I mean, yeah, like you said, it's it's never like Detroit has gotten better, but no. it's gotten progressively worse. So, Dad, well, tell us about the riots. So in Detroit, you were telling me you remember because uh, you were yeah. essentially committing a felony when you were sitting there on the mailbox, right? I was. Your 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 uncle, my older brother, and I were uh, would sit at the end of the street. We had a mailbox, and we would straddle that mailbox like a like a hobby horse and watch the military vehicles go down Cadu Road to the I-94. I mean, armored personnel carriers, uh, Jeeps, all kinds of cool stuff, heading down to 94 to hang the right to go into the city, uh, maybe even up to Jefferson or Mack or any of those other um, avenues that would take them into just a, an absolute war zone. And I mean war zone. There's, there's Baltimore, and then there's this. See, we haven't seen... The sniper fire that you saw in Detroit. Uh, my uh, friend of ours that we played hockey with, his dad was shot in the calf, in the thigh, and and on one of his butt cheeks, and was done with uh, the police force. My best friend's um, uh, dad was a cop, and his partner was that the Petroni shot hit. Yeah, yeah, Gino Petroni. Yeah, and he left shortly after that. Gosh, I mean, that's just and that's the thing that these people who are there and protecting these communities. I mean, the fact is they do more for impoverished communities. Cops do more for communities where there's greater crime because that's where they're going to be called. And then you have them walking off the force in Detroit. I mean, if you imagine that happening in Baltimore, that's not good for anybody. Certainly not good for the senior centers that are getting, you know, blown up and and burned down. Now, Dad, I mean, you're well, we've talked about your dad was in the Air Force, and they even brought him in, right, during the Detroit riots? Yeah, during the Detroit riots, they brought in the Michigan um, Army Guard on foot, um, state troopers, uh, 82nd Airborne at one point was there, but my dad flew a couple of reconnaissance missions with the Air National Guard uh, in the old RF-84. RF-84 was a, uh, a plane that was known to be able to take pictures at high speed, at at high altitude and zero in on rooftops, and he was doing that for the city. Gosh. Can you imagine that? It was an American city. People don't talk about that. No. People, well, oh, so let me ask you this, though. Contrasting it, right? This was Detroit Riots, was it 68? Uh, seven, 67. So then 67. after that is the Martin Luther King assassination, um, Bobby Kennedy, all that immediately after that. And then they thought, okay, hey, let's try busing. Let's let's desegregate our schools, and that never really got off the ground with the cross district busing. But they did it within the environs of the city, so the little notch where we live in Detroit was part of that busing experiment. Right after all this hit the fan, right. So and, that was that was my experience. Well, and to be clear too, you've talked about it. It's it wasn't a, a race thing; it was a cultural thing where you basically had people from different sides of the city, where a lot of people were coming in with parents who were cops, and then a lot of kids were from areas where they were shooting cops. And then, uh, and then just let's just toss them all in in the same spot in the bus together. It was a culture of segregation. Exactly, not a good social experiment for sure. Using those particular areas, but uh, yeah, it was it was a rough time for sure. Yeah, I can imagine it was a rough time. But looking back there, compared to Baltimore, I mean, doesn't it seem? I'm certainly not saying it's ever justified the Detroit riots. It was terrible and deplorable back then. Mm-hmm. But you can kind of go, okay, we're close to the Voting Rights Act. We're still close to the, you know, some civil rights issues. There's a little more understanding, I think, to those people who were riding there where you're going, okay, uh, I get why they're upset. We're closer to it. What are you saying, Fundip? But it started because they tried to close down an after-hours bar. It, the, exactly. the beginning of the thing was 
completely stupid, dumber than the things that are starting riots even now. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, we no, don't want this that. blind pig running. I'm sorry? It was just like they didn't want to close down this blind pig, and so it's like next thing you know, riots. It's insane. Well, that's true, but I, I do think that, um, and you're right, the reasons for rioting today may be you know, more grandiose and more, more of a social uh, you know, commentary than, than that, but it was pretty organic. You know, there were people that said, hey, enough of this. These cops, they thought, were a little rough. They arrested everybody out of that after-hours uh, party. And um, so it sort of started with a hey, hey, cop, shout down, and then a bottle, and then pretty soon, and then it escalated from there. So it was a, it had been festering for a while. Now you've got professional protesters, Al Sharpton types, you know, people that look at, at opportunities here, and they're they're really just just sitting, almost watching the police scanner, waiting for a protest. <laughs> I picture like uh, what was that movie <laughs> with Jake Gyllenhaal, Jared? Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. Did you see it, Dad? I did, loved it. Yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah. It was one of the, yeah, I don't think Fundip's seen it. I'd say it's one of the best films of the year. It was amazing. Um, <laughs> Couldn't be yeah. as good as Paddington as far as I'm concerned. Oh, stop it with your damn Paddington. Well, Stephen, Stephen will often make these references, Fundip, and I, you know, I don't get half of them. Uh, but when he gives me a good movie recommendation, I generally jump on it. I didn't know your other guest today. Uh, you know, great, great guest on the show just before me here. Stephen said, oh, he sold millions of, of records. I Never heard of him. Yeah, I never so heard maybe. of him either. You, you, <laughs> okay. you and I are probably closer in age, to, you know, because uh, we're, we're the we're the previous generation. Well, yeah, I love what he's doing, though. I love what he's doing. He seems like a really interesting guy. Great guest. Well, it's funny when I first told my dad that Andrew was on. He goes, "Well, well I've never heard of him. He's a rock star." I said, "Well, you know, his hits were like in the er, you know early two th- like two oh four oh five and, and and Dad goes, "Oh, so after Rock was dead." <laughs> As, like, as yeah. I sit here with the Beatles on my shirt, you know. Yeah. Well, no, but when you turn on a rock station now, it will be classic rock. Yeah, it's because all rock from my high school years, all of it. The, the only really good current rock band that I can think of is Like a Storm uh, from New Zealand. <laughs> and they're not charting too big yet, but I love them. I'll have to do some digging. Thanks for that. <laughs> oh, he won't. He won't. Just like we won't be doing it. Actually, I will say Paddington Bear was was actually a lovely film. Isn't it uh, adorable? I love that movie. It is, though. Nicole Kidman is is looking rough. She's looking rough. <laughs> yeah. There's no. Yeah, Fonda doesn't even deny yeah. it. And you usually love the sort of pale, uh, pale redhead look. She's had some strange work done to her facial bone structure. Yeah, she looks well. like. Some- she got to keep up with the work that her husband's having done. So it's, uh... <laughs> yes. He looks like more of a woman. Now it's kind of the evolution. Keith Urban looks like a chick, and Nicole Kidman looks like something from a Spielberg film. But so, Fundip would acknowledge he's a virtuoso on the guitar, though. The country music scene has some great guitarists. Oh, yeah. He is fantastic on the guitar. Okay, Dad, uh, we oh. will, we're going to have to go to a break. <laughs> I didn't even realize. We'll bring you back, and I wanted to actually talk about comparing MLK back then in Detroit versus the current sort of black leadership like Sharpton who just went to Baltimore. Lotter with Crowder. Stay tuned. If you're anything like me, you enjoy a good glass of wine. But finding the right kind can be a hassle. Or maybe you want to buy a nice bottle as a gift but don't know where to start. That's where Simplified Wine comes in. Simplified Wine makes buying good wine 
simple. Just call 844-297-WINE, where a qualified sommelier will take your information budget, send you a curated list, and then wine straight to your door. It's just that simple. By the way, they also have a price match guarantee, so it's not only the easiest way to get great wine, but the least expensive. All you do is call Simplified Wine at 844-297-WINE. That's 844-297-WINE. Or don't like phone calls, you can just go to simplifiedwine.com and hit the Simplify button. Same thing, just digital. Any wine you want, they can get. Just call Simplified Wine at 844-297-WINE to have the best wine at the best price delivered straight to your door. Guaranteed. What could possibly be simpler? Call Simplified Wine today, 844-297-WINE. You're listening to Louder with Two Crowders. The hell was that? You went full broadcaster voice. Oh yeah, I wanted to do that thing. I don't. I, it's just bizarre to me that you can turn it on and off. Louder with Crowder. I am your host, Stephen Crowder. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. Yo, Democrats. Yo, dummies. And we are live. <laughs> the most insubordinate producer in radio, Fun Dip Dan, and my father as a guest because we're talking about the riots, and he was alive there in Detroit proper during the Detroit riots. So we just talked about that, Dad. To kind of give some historical context, and you were talking about this on the phone, and it was another reason why I wanted to have you on. You were talking about you know MLK and that, that vibe surrounding Detroit riots versus today, Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, and even Barack Obama. Honestly, the race baiting used to be relegated to the bottom rungs of politics, uh, and now you can include the president of the United States. So that's just that's just my opinion. Don't copy paste that to Darren and, and and get mad at my dad. That's just me. But you were saying something, okay? Like Martin Luther King, you were giving me an example, and I thought it was I thought it was really uh, you you know what I'm talking about. You take the reins sure. here. Yeah, I, well, I, if I remember right, we were talking about if if he were to be here today, we wake him up and say, "Hey, hey, MLK, wake up! We got we got some news for you. Hey, there's there's this guy in the office, this Barack Obama. He's our president. Well, it's kind of a silly name. Who's that? Well, yeah, that's that's not the point. He said he's a black president. We're kind of joking about it. And that Martin Luther King would have said, "Wow, my my vision's been realized. That was my dream. Obviously, we've gotten to a point where we could elect a." Uh, a black uh, president, and so that that is it. It, it. it can only happen if the country chooses to do that. I mean, if you, you know, he would know the demographics of the country at any time. There right. wouldn't be enough black voters to do that. And so, but but the black leadership today doesn't want to see equality, doesn't want to see freedom, doesn't want to see his dream. They want to never lose the victim card. Their goals are completely different. They don't share his goals at all. And when I sort of found my faith in uh, the mid-80s, and I became a Christian. I looked at Martin Luther King, I looked at these, and, and I got it. And, and there, was a lot of, there was a lot of stuff that I grew up with that, that I'm, I'm not proud of the way I felt and the things I learned. And I thought, wow, this guy really... And it doesn't, it, it doesn't compare it all to what these guys are doing today. It doesn't compare at all. And it really breaks my heart to see that, because it's, it's not at all a Christian worldview of how the races should agree and how things ought to come together. And we shouldn't see color at all in, in these things, but... Um, it's, uh, it, it sort of breaks my heart. I really think that it's, it doesn't have to be this way, but it has become an industry. They can't lose that card. They can't lose that advantage. Right. They don't want equality. They need that advantage, and the advantage is the victim card. And to be clear, to those listening, just tuning in, my dad is talking about black leadership, like Al Sharpton, yes. who just 
showed up on the ground. Because you, you know right away there, uh, Dad, that people are going to say, well, you're saying all black people. Just like when I said, of course not. these people are animals. You mean black people? No, I mean the rioters. I mean people who are burning stuff down. Those exactly. people. So, I'm comparing leadership to leadership then and today. Vision then versus vision today. And that's the sad thing. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a good point. And um, it also might say that not only are they, are they phonies, you know, people like Sharpton in, in paying their taxes and being with the people, but probably phonies in their faith as well, because it's really hard to oh, rectify sure. those Absolutely. positions. And it comes from a place that, that, and we've talked about this, I've heard you talk about it on the, on the show many times, there is no institutional impediment anymore with, with race or, or race, class, or gender, any of these things that they, that they try to categorize folks in. That, that's gone. It has gone away. And we really shouldn't hear of it anymore. We should be more followers of Martin Luther King and say, okay, we don't see it. It's, it's done. Realize, boom, level playing field. There is no, there will always be institution, or individual racists and rednecks and on both sides. We get that. But there is no impediment to your advancement. That's, that just doesn't happen anymore. And, and it doesn't happen to gender. We know that. The, the glass ceiling and all this silliness. It's just, uh, and, and now in election cycles, we hear it more and more. Yeah, well, we hear more and more, and then they're doing the same play now with all of a sudden, the country, have you noticed, Dad, has become way more sexist in the last four or five months. Have you noticed that now? Everything is, oh, sure. is gender inequality, the pay gap myth. Have you noticed that that uptick? Sure. Well, I'm glad that you guys talk about it. I think, I think you, you need to, you need to elevate that. As for me, I just won't hear. I literally will treat it as silly. That, that's, that's silliness. Don't, don't come to me anymore with... This isn't fair. This isn't, we, we really have eliminated these things. We don't have to be talking about them anymore. It's over. You have to. That's your business. That's what you guys have to. And thank you for doing it. But for us down here now, I, I don't think it's, uh, it's not something I'm going to listen to anymore. No one's you know going to play those cards on me. Oh, go ahead, Fun Dip. I so want I, to stand up for overweight Irish newfies. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's what I want to stand up for. We are a, a, a downtrodden class. Well, you're the only one who's standing up because anyone else who fits that criteria is still in the closet as they should be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a hybrid the there, yeah. <laughs> come on, come out of the closet. Oh, oh, let's just you, let's you, make sure it's the walk-in. <laughs> it's got to be for me to fit. Well, you know, Dad, you're, you're, you're right. But again, I, t I tell you, we talk about this. Being raised, you know, I went to Centennial Regional High School in Greenfield Park, Quebec. I could count on both hands the amount of black guys that we had in our class. You know, had tons of Asians, tons of, of Middle Eastern people, but not a lot of black people. Way more now because of the, the emerging Haitian community in Quebec. That's right. And none of them had ever experienced, you know, the kind of racism that you're talking about in Detroit or sure. the 60s. They were so disconnected from it. Um, but they still often spoke. They tried to copy what they heard in hip-hop. And, you know, you'd hear those guys trying to act like they were from Memphis. And you'll see some of them now, you know, in solidarity with Baltimore on Facebook. I'm going like, I'm going to make up a name, but it's very close to the actual name. Like, like Jamal, I knew you. You you never had any of these issues or discrimination in, in, in Canada at, at, at all. You have, you have nothing in common with someone who was dis discriminated against by a cop. And, and it's just indicative of, like you said, they want to get in now, unfortunately, in a cultural wave. Right. And, and that's where we are. Yeah, I heard, I heard a gal, I don't, don't remember the name, just, just recently um, interviewed who talked about that sort of divergence in the culture where hip-hop culture sort of overtook everything on that side of it. And that's what drew in sort of this, the, the thug life, the attitude the, the, that we 
see now, and it didn't. It, it wasn't supposed to be that way. There was a there were there was a genuine black culture, and then that sort of co-opted everything, and that's kind of put us to where we are here. You get kids from, um, you know, the white suburbs of Canada wanting to be part of that culture. Yeah. What's well, funny? They say, "Oh, what is it?" Fun. Sorry, fun ups on the screen behind me right now. When it, what? What? What do you want? Fun-ups? It wasn't the hip hop thing. Is not the uniting sound the the sound of young America that Motown was, where white kids were able to dance with black kids. You had a white guitarist and a white bass player joining with black bass players, guitarists, drummers. All of that stuff came together in Motown and. Everybody seemed to be able to embrace each other's culture, and it, it combined with inspirational, powerful, and happy music. And there's not a lot of happy in the angry rap. It drives no, me nuts. Exactly right. Good Lord. Yeah, and when, when uh, Stephen and his brother heard all the time from me, we'd hear something on radio, oh, this guy's from Detroit. Oh, another great Detroit band. Oh, another great Detroit. I was throwing it out all the time. Dad, you think everyone's from Detroit? No, oh, I... The, the talent that came out of that city, which is absolutely incredible in all genres of music. Good Lord. Oh, Fundip, yeah. Fundip just made a valid point that was not gastronomically focused. <laughs> hey, if it's musically focused. It when, we, when we got to the U.S., we were always commenting about how, how all comedy seemed to come out of Canada. Remember, Stephen? It's Every true. Great a lot of great comedy does come out of Canada. And Shatner. That's mm-hmm. yeah, true. <laughs> Sh- we were talking about that back in the old Star Trek the rumor is they had him in a corset and uh, a toupee or hair plugs. Shatner. Oh, no. Oh, no. Fun dip. You will not find a friendly audience with my dad in Star Trek. His old line is, if it were playing on a jumbotron in my yard, I wouldn't lift the shade. <laughs> well, what about Star Wars? Is, are you at least? Well, I, I will tell you though, my my fighter pilot dad liked Star Trek. Though he did, uh, he 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 watched that quite a bit. So. Oh geez, and we're I getting the room. We're getting tweets now, people saying they'd rather hear Darren dish the dirt on me growing up, but <laughs> that's a liability. Well, well here's we the thing need of... at least one story about Stephen when he was young. Uh, okay. yeah, I don't know. I, I, I have to think about that. I have to go through my... Okay, I got one, Dan. I got one. But firstly, to the race thing, to all you people who are listening to the podcast or watching on YouTube, I know what you're getting. It's three white guys. You have no idea what it's like. Just shut up, okay? By the way, my dad can tell you, raised as a... As an English-speaking Canadian in French Canada, I mean, I was forced to go to French schools, learn math and geography in French. Remember that, Dad? Until they switched sure. me over in the fourth grade. I remember I went from a, I can't remember the French teacher, but they switched me to Miss Naidu, who was a really, really harsh Indian teacher, like no nonsense, you know. Um, and I loved her because she spent extra time to teach me long division. She wasn't nice, but she was a great teacher. But remember, they thought I was borderline like learning disabled until they just said, well, let's see if he can do stuff in English. That's how I ended up in stand-up comedy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, I-, I have a story, Dad. Tell them the story of the Macy's Parade and a, a fitness, uh, Amer- an American fitness icon that confused me. You know what I'm talking about? The Macy's Parade. The Macy's Parade, sweetie pie cookies. No, I just I, I'm Richard Simmons. I'm sorry. Oh, 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 okay. Of course, of course. <laughs> yes. We, 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 because I, I was thinking when we used to go to New York for the Macy's Parade. No, no, no. Okay, Washington. but we've only no, got no, a no. minute. Okay, real quick. Stephen watching the uh, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. He's facing the TV. His mother and I are behind him on the, on the couch, and uh, uh, along the parade route is uh, Willard Scott. And Willard Scott, oh, we see celebrities everywhere. And here's, here's Richard Simmons. Richard Simmons came out in a sequined tank top, 
chest hair galore, uh, and serving cookies to Willard Scott in such an effeminate way, Stephen stopped, looked back at us, pointed the TV, looked back, pointed, and said, Daddy, that man, he was giving the man cookies like a lady, and he sounded like a lady, but he had the chest, and he, he was so confused. He'd never seen anything like it. <laughs> and I think we said, oh, look, Stephen, the underdog float, go. You know, we kind of distracted him. Yeah. But that was his first experience. He was very shocked. It's one thing to have the sex talk with your kid. Right. At three or four. It's an entirely different thing to have the gay sex talk. So thank Just you, Darren. The imagery. For calling in. Uh, thanks, Dad. We're going to go to a break, but uh, appreciate it. And hope you, listener, got something out of that. Put it in your back pocket. We'll be back to wrap up the show. Louder thanks, with you. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. So glad to have you back with us. This final segment of the show. These shows go by quickly. That's something you know we were talking about. There might be some cool announcements coming up with the show. Fundip knows this. You know, there's there's been the offer. Oh, he's on a phone again. He just he does everything but pay attention to the program. We've been offered, you know, several times. There's been the opportunity to go daily. And, you know, I don't do that, and it's by design, because I tell you what, I look forward to doing this show with Fun Dip. I look forward to reading your tweets. You can tweet me at S. Crowder. I look forward to doing this program every week. I don't ever want to get to the point where it becomes another job, where I have to get up and, oh, we have to find some news to talk about. Oh, we've got to produce this. Because I tell you what, I know a lot of radio hosts. And it becomes a chore for a lot of them. And you can hear it. It comes through. And we don't want that to be the case. So hopefully, if, if nothing else, you can hear and feel that it's genuine. And if you're not listening live, it's all if you're a missing lie. some segments, always go to louderwithcrowder.com uh, where you can get the podcast. It's all free. It's all accessible. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's the goal is to make sure everyone can get it and everyone can have a good time. Why are you nodding your head it, now? It's up? all a lie. We're totally faking it. Fun up. You're not coming in the queue, the speaker. Oh, it's all. <laughs> That's right. I'm only sending myself to program. It's all a lie. We're only we're totally faking everything. Yeah, because that's how we make the big bucks. <laughs> we are shills. Yeah, and and and, and so don't so forget anyway. the Craftmatic adjustable bed, ladies and gentlemen. Right. Don't forget that, and don't forget your self lubricating pocket catheter. <laughs> it's <laughs> and beets. Who- you gotta drink beets. You gotta drink beets. Do you remember the pocket catheters? Oh, gosh, that sounds horrible. Like self-lubricating. Pocket I mean, ca- I heard of pocket calculators, but pocket catheter, why would you need that? Gosh, and I mean, what? It's just one of those things you do not, seems you'd want a qualified professional to admit, to administer, <laughs> to administer that. I mean, it's like you think giving yourself, you know, a needle is hard if you've ever had to do that. You know, if you're Have diabetic. I, I've never been a heroin guy. That's one thing. I would never be able to do heroin because of the needles. Same thing with, with steroids. I wouldn't be able to do it because of the, I could. I don't think I could give myself a needle. I can't even contemplate contact lenses. Yeah, I do those. They're not. They're really pretty easy once you get Ugh, used to them. No way. 
Gross. Yeah, says the man who eats Hebrew national hot dogs for breakfast. Hey, they are good hot dogs, and I'm not sticking them in my eye. Soft, scientifically engineered contact lenses in my eye? That's gross. Ballpark Franks for breakfast. I won't eat ballpark Franks. I don't know what the difference is. I don't even care. I, 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 what, what bothers me is what are you doing on your phone? You do realize it's incredibly distracting. I get one phone call a week before 9 o'clock from the guy who fixes my house. So I had to take it. No, you didn't have to take it. You could call him back after 9 o'clock. Well, it could All have right. been an emergency. He could have said, I set your house on fire. Uh, okay, shut up. So this is <laughs> where we are. If you wanted to, to, If you ever wondered what would happen with an entirely Democrat city, by the way, uh, Joe, Joe Biden's little hometown there in Baltimore. He takes the, Balt- the Joe Biden Express into D.C., entirely Democrat mayor, uh, who's complicit and actually gave proactively gave space for people to loot and to destroy. And if you ever wondered what was going to happen when you had a black president who refused to be honest about what's going on in a city that's burning, who refused to unite Americans and instead chose to divide, who did that for seven years and who created a a false sense of victimhood uh, among people who are incredibly disconnected from actual civil rights and actual civil rights leaders like Martin Luther King. If you ever wondered what would happen if that pattern were put into play, if that if that those wheels were put into motion, here we are. It's Baltimore. This is what happens. This is what you get. And it's, it's, it's probably going to get worse. It's probably going to get worse before it gets better. And I don't mean Baltimore is going to get worse. But you, you can mark my words here. If this police report comes out, and from some of the rumors, we'll have them once they're more concrete at lotterwithcrowder.com. If the rumors are true and Freddie Gray was actually trying to injure himself, if there's a history of prior injury there – if it comes out at all that these cops weren't racist just looking to break a, a black kid's spine, because that's the narrative, right? That's the narrative that's been set. So if it deviates from that at all, even if he's absolved because the cop did something that was an accident and there was a, you know, a prior history of, of spinal injury, these people are going to be furious. And that's why I think they're probably not going to be releasing this information right away. Um, they know it's going to be bad, and they need to curb it. They need to make sure that things die down a little bit. And the problem is, at this point, historically, when your kids will learn about it, just like with Mike Brown, listen, everything that was said about Mike Brown was verifiably false. His hands were up. He was running away. No. He was a gentle giant. No. He didn't do drugs. Yes, he did. He wasn't a, he was, he wasn't a criminal. Yes, he was. He was a, 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 a servant of his community. No, he wasn't. The cop had a history of racism. No, he didn't. He never hit a cop. Yes, he did. He never reached for his gun. Yes, he did. All the witnesses said he was running away. No, they didn't. They were wrong about everything. But your kids, because they're going to be going to a school with liberal professors and people who want to keep a specific narrative alive, will learn about the Mike Brown incident as the innocent, gentle giant who was shot running away from a cop with his hands up. The same thing. So it's important that you hear this now about Baltimore. All the rioting, all the burning down of their own communities, 
And by they, I mean rioters, people in these communities. Don't try and apply a racial motive when nobody else is here. The people who are rioters, those people, the people who are committing violent crimes, all of that will be disregarded when taught to your children. It will be taught as a civil uprising against police brutality, even if the police, uh, policeman involved with Freddie Gray is completely absolved. So that's why it's important for you to know and to pay attention and to be engaged. Because even if you're right on all fronts, unless you've got some level of cultural engagement, unless you understand how the media works, your message is not going to get out there. And that's where we are. Look back at Mike Brown. It couldn't be more clear cut. But you still have people who believe something happened there that never happened. And that's what's going to happen with Baltimore. And did you, are you looking to say something? Or you're counting me down, Fundip. Fundip's counting me down. He always tries to go silent because he knows that I go on these rants to close out the program. Well, like I said, and you can tweet me at S. Crowder if you think I'm wrong. Being raised in a post-racial America, I know growing up, listen, I had friends of all different, uh, of all different colors and walks of life. And I hung out with them. None of them would have been complain complaining about being discriminated against. Certainly not like back in the 60s where it was valid. And these same kids, like I said, who were raised with me, who I knew, are now saying that they're, they're victims of discrimination, are now saying that racism is worse than ever. Well, how does that happen when white Americans elected a black president? How all of a sudden did racism lie dormant and now it's worse than ever? Just like next, sexism will be racist than ever. Mark my words. Louder with Crowder. See you next week.